you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando, episode 66. Uh, thanks again, of course, to Mike Squires for our awesome intro theme music. Uh, I'm trying to get more energy into uh, the intro because just off the air, Raz is telling me to do a bump of of something, of a Red Bull or a Crystal Meth or I, I don't know. I have to get my radio voice prepared, Mr. Raz Q. So don't, oh, is that, is that? Yeah, don't judge me with my off-the-air voice where I, I get lazy and mumble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was different. Yeah, now, now I got it. I understand now. Yeah, well, I have to, I mean, since I've been doing radio, it's always funny, like, oh, what's your radio voice? Expecting it to be like, you know, weenie in the bud, yeah, you know, talking like this. You're listening to the radio. No, it's more, I'm the same. I guess I'm just a little bit more energetic, but I don't want to be energetic on and off the air. Otherwise, people just think I'm, you know, I do crack or something. If you're always on, if you're always on, I feel like that's when you have a problem. Yeah, if you're always peeking out the blinds. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, Raz Q, my special co-host uh, for the day. I don't even know what appearance this is for you on the show. Has it been four, three, four? Eight. I think three. Three? Okay. Three, yeah. So, right. me, Solo, and then Robbie Gardner, and then now. Yeah, no, I love it. So, if you don't know Raz Q's story, uh, you should when we first had Raz on. And just to kind of quickly paraphrase, I initially was excited about his, his book because I saw uh, handicap logos on it, and I have a physical handicap. Uh, handicap. And of course, with the the days of Guns and Razzes, had the Guns and Roses, you know, angle to it. So I'm like, handicap Guns and Roses, that's right up my alley. So find out Raz's uh, story, which you know, since we last spoke. There has been more and more to your story. I think that's when we leaked to the internet, finally, the first uh, Guns N' Roses radio interview ever from 1985, right? That's been in your yeah. in your vault? Correct, yeah. And we did a little YouTube video and put some sound, put the sound behind it of that interview uh, from 1985. That's so cool. And you know that people like Tracy Guns hasn't heard it or seen the pictures you've been releasing since then, because actually as of today, as we're recording this, I try to do this in real time, so it's uh, June 4th. He actually shared another one of your pictures today on uh, an Instagram. Yeah, that was very nice of him. You know, uh, I was surprised. I'm surprised. Like uh, like him and him and uh, Steven Adler are the two that have uh, like been helping me out, you know, posting my pictures and uh, promoting the book in, in a way. So Stephen actually took a picture with the book. I just got next time uh, Tracy's in Las Vegas, I'll probably try to get him to get a picture of the. I I had some mean things to say about him in the book, but I did. Uh, I had some nice things to say too. So. Well, hopefully it'll it'll mend fences fences. So uh, I mean, he certainly did. if he took out the time to maybe edit out the rasq dot com on the photo, then maybe there might be an issue. But he, no, it's all there. It's all there. So. Uh, 
This is about, again, from just hearing your story initially, all those episodes back, and, you know, you bringing in uh, Rob Gardner, the original uh, Guns N' Roses drummer, uh, has been very cool. But now you kind of helped me connect with another person I never thought I would speak to ever, and that's going to be our guest for today. And that's, uh, I'm going to have to ask him if it's James or Jamie Hunting, because it's Jamie on Facebook, it's James when I look it on the uh on the booklet of the Outpatients record with West Arkean. So I don't know. What do you know him as, James or Jamie Hunting? I just, Jamie. Yeah, so. All right, well. You never know, because, I mean, with Rob Gardner, like we call him Rob, Robbie, Robert, like all three. So it's like maybe it's interchangeable with Jamie, too. So Yeah, no, it's possible. And I've spoken to Jamie uh, or James. We'll, we'll figure it out when he calls up in a, in a couple minutes uh, of which one he prefers. But. Uh, this watch him, say, he, he, watch him say Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, right. Big, big Jim. Uh, <laughs> but it was suggested initially to reach out to Mr. Hunting on uh, mygnrforum.com, one of the great you know people who use it there. Because some people do suggest who I should interview. Like you were a suggest, uh, you were a suggestion initially, and I, I look into it. I mean, obviously, how many people that you may you don't know other than. You know the main guys slash Axel, but there's all these side players that you may not know. That even I, who I once considered myself a really learned GNR fan, but I'm certainly not as learned learned as many of uh, you guys and gals out there. But Jamie James Hunting was a suggestion, and it was just the the anniversary of um, of West Arkeen's death. Who I mean, we're probably gonna have to talk about West. We'll get your you know because I don't know. Do you know him personally, uh, Raz West? West? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you did cuz uh, I mean, it's different for you who kind of, you know, who grew up with, you know, Axel a little bit and 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 West, but for someone in my age group, like I I knew West's name from looking at Appetite for Destruction and knowing like who is this guy who co-wrote these songs who's not in the band, so to speak. Uh so, you know, years years later he would make I think it was 1996, he would make this Outpatients record with West uh before, shortly before he he died and that was on that album is the last known recording we know of uh of Slash and Axel on the same uh song, song called um Anxious Disease. And Izzy's on the record, I believe Steven's on the record. It's like a kind of Guns N' Roses record, but it's not. So Jamie was the bassist on that, so we're going to be talking to him in, in just a few minutes. But before we do, Raz, uh, since you are a co-host, that means you're going to be a part of a very special segment here on uh, the AFD show. We like to call News. You excited? Super. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, first part of uh, Shotgun News is, of course, to usually reflect on our last episode, uh, briefly, episode 65 with uh, Alan Niven, uh, part two uh, with Alan, the former Guns N' Roses manager during uh, parts of like, kind of the height of, of GNR, you know, during Appetite. And it was picked up again, and thanks uh, to our friends at AlternativeNation.net, who takes the time to to transcribe uh, part of my interview and get uh, certain stories out there. And also thanks to uh, Ultimate, uh, UltimateGuitar.com, who picked up that story as well and gave uh, us credit as, as long uh, well as long with uh, Alt Nation. And if you didn't get a chance to either listen to the interview, uh, it's almost two hours. Uh, so if you're lazy, this is the part that I'll I'll go play you a, a snippet of. This is what uh, Alt Nation transcribed, and this is when uh, I asked Alan 
like initially why the It's So Easy video that, that just came out after all these years, why he originally shelved it. So this is part of what uh, Alan had to say. And then Axel wanted to put in some S&M stuff that he, he shot with Aaron. Um, right. Unbeknownst to me at the time, he quietly arranged this with Nigel, Nigel Dick. And when I went into... Uh, look at the footage and sit with Nigel and uh, start to um, get a basic edit on it, there was all this, you know, hanging Aaron off off the door and putting a ball gag in her and beating her ass and stuff, and I'm sitting there and going, yeah, this is going to play really fucking brilliantly. Nice move, Axel. Fucking brilliant. So at that point, um, I said, we're not, going to, we're not going to go with one more track, and Geffen don't want to go with one more track, and we're just going to shelve it, and we'll put it out later, and, you know, we can put it in a collection or something, you know, and just got it off, got it off the table. So Alan went into much more detail about the box set, about It's So Easy, about his thoughts of, on the devil. He like, does not like the devil. Um, yes, that devil. So uh, I don't know. If, did you get a chance to to listen to that episode, Raz? Because I'd be I'd love to know your thoughts yeah, I, on I it. I listened to it uh, mostly. I uh, was doing other things, but it was playing. So the the whole thing, you know, it's weird. Like, okay, so they talk about the, you know, right there, the little snip you played, and I, I watched the It's So Easy video, and I was actually at that show. It was at the Cat House. Oh wow! Okay. Most yeah. of the footage, and and uh, so I was stage left. And, uh, man, it was a sweat box in there, I remember. But the cameraman, like, I was rocking out in my chair, you know, and just, like, bopping side to side and head banging and, like, fully getting into the show, right? Because I don't think they had – I had seen them for, like, about nine months at that at that point. Like, the Aerosmith tour had been over for about nine months. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe even a year. So I, I was rocking out, and the guy was getting footage of me. So, yeah, so I'm just bummed out. I looked through – I was looking forward to it coming out back then to see if I'd be in it. Oh. I, you know, and I wasn't in it now, so, like, all these other stuff is bullshit. You know, I don't care about Alan not putting it out because I wasn't in it. Uh, you, you just wanted the Raz Q uh, – uh, what is it, cameo? Like or something. You wanted the Q and cameo. That's, that's it? The, the, one of the cameramen literally had at least 90 seconds to, like, two minutes of uh, footage of me. <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm on the cutting room floor. It's somewhere there. Well, according to Alan, that's not even the original cut. Uh, that they kind of they redid some stuff when they finally released it. But the show, like I think you know, the, when I looked at the video, the It's So Easy video, there was more than obviously more than one show. It's just yeah. I think there was some way earlier footage. It looked like some stuff was like left over from maybe like the uh, Welcome to the Jungle video or like era video shot in that era. You know, like right. Adjacent to the Appetite for Destruction's release, but because that it's so easy was like two two and a half years after that had to be eighty nine, right? Isn't that what it was? Around there, I believe. Yeah, so I think it was. Yeah, so I just don't. I think it was more than one, but but eighty percent of the concert footage was at the Cat House show. Yeah, because they would show the of course the uh, the famous Cat House in the back, but you would see Axel's outfit changed and it changed a lot. And he does that, but he's not going to do that mid song, you know, if it's not you know estranged to where he has like these long break periods where he can go change. It's just the rapid fire, no pun intended. Of it's so easy. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it's just interesting with hearing Alan and like his initial reasons 
to kind of yes, I'm gonna I plead you that one clip, but it was the whole. Well, I guess you would know it being uh, L.A. Guns' first manager. The the album cycle. He just didn't want to. He's like nobody really knew about us, but now I feel like we're oversaturated. We don't need to put out this album now, but he just wanted it to be the band footage. And when it got all to all this S and M stuff. He just wasn't a fan, and 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 went on to explain. He just thought it was curious why to release it now, with all the the Me Too stuff going on, where people just get offended by anything. I just can't even imagine. I often think about Raz that era, the the eighty Sunset Strip era, would not have existed in this in today's climate because everything. I have that same thought on because advertising my book, it's got guns in the title. Yeah. Every right. time I put an ad up, it goes into review, and then I have to appeal. And I was like, can you imagine if Guns N' Roses came out now? Like, the stuff they <laughs> – I don't think they could. I don't think a band would, like, because the climate against guns is so – yeah. Yeah. It's the cl- uh, against guns, against how um, women oh, yeah. are perceived, yeah. I guess. You know? Can you imagine writing the lyrics, turn around, bitch, I got a use for you? I mean, I guess yeah. you couldn't – in hip hop, I guess is uh, now, but I mean there are certain. I don't know. If, hip hop's so popular. This is like the only the only genre where they can just say like a dude can be a dude and he, like say stuff about women or you know just express himself how he feels or how others in his uh, circle feel. Like you know, sometimes I mean a lot of time music the guys aren't actually singing what they're. Are they have a protagonist and the protagonist is is that's the protagonist's point of view. So, yeah, man, absolutely. No, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, I just think like the man, like the bands that come out, except for like Total Thrash and like heavy stuff. And I mean, look at No Effects; they can't even like. I mean, they made a stupid joke about the Vegas massacre or whatever. Right. Right. But they're a punk rock band, and that was a punk rock joke, you know. Yeah, so, I I can imagine like when I was, was wrong, but you know, you should be able to apologize for stuff. Yeah, because uh, for the people who did miss that, they made a joke about, you know, at least they were country fans who got shot, not punk rock fans uh, at the Vegas show. That sucked, but at least they were country fans, not punk rock fans. I mean, obviously, that's really stupid. A dumb joke, man. It's but I could joke. I could see my like my middle school self saying something like that. Like, me in middle school, where you just really were able to separate yourself from a joke, and, like, it is what it is. Um, but for that band who really isn't on the radar unless you know you're like me and listen to the punk rock in in high school and still do they're not on the radar for many people now and to have them have that kind of backlash is saying something yeah they uh no i'm just saying like we all say stupid stuff but we just don't all say stupid stuff where like a bunch of people gonna attack us you know and if we we do around our friends in the circle we sometimes we say i mean i do I say stuff that everybody just kind of goes, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. <laughs> so it's just sometimes, you know, I don't know. I have this weird sense of humor. I understand what the guy, the joke he was trying to make. And it, it's just, it's a punk rock thing. That's a punk rock joke. Like just, you know. When I know what he means. Make care. I mean, like God Save the Queen, right? You know, it's like her bodies or, you know, like look at the. The Ramones, the KKK took my baby away. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> sure. No, absolutely. Like, I I can look, I personally can look at it, just like you can look at it, Raz, where these people aren't obviously happy that country fans were killed. They're not. And obviously. It's obvious they were not happy that people died. Yeah. They're just kind of being, trying to be uh, funny and saying, you know, we love punk rock. You know, we're, we're the family. You know, it's just. 
it's maybe not be the most creative or clever joke, but you can. It's obviously said in jest. He doesn't. They don't mean anyone for uh, that. Uh, have harm put on them regardless of what music they like but that's just the world that we live in that's why you know make bring it full circle could guns and roses even put out uh i used to love her but i had to kill her out now would that be uh spousal abuse yeah in the song <laughs> to their to gnr's defense in the song it, it does say take it for what it is that's very true that is true of course it's a joke the, um i mean can you imagine if howard stern never existed and he just started today like the, and the stuff he was doing in the 90s and the 80s or whatever. Oh, it wouldn't happen. And it was hard enough for him back then. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, I know. But that's what he was fighting for, to be able to do that. And it seems like, it just seems like the, all the uh, the Puritans have taken over. Like, whatever political ideology, either both sides, the left and the right, it's the Puritans are winning, man, for some reason. I don't know how it got to where we are. but I don't know. Even on a podcast, I have to be careful. You know what yeah. what I say. I know I'm not on like a major platform, but you never know what, you know. So what could offend? Like, yeah, I'm I, I'm not. This isn't for iHeart, but I work for iHeart. It happens to be on the iHeart app. So if for some reason they didn't like something I said and they heard about it, you know, I can get in trouble. But I oh yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah. So even I have to be somewhat uh, <laughs> careful. This is the world that we live in. What's, uh, that, what's that saying? Somebody says uh, you have freedom of speech, but you don't have freedom from con- the consequence of your speech. So. That is very true. That makes sense. See, th- that's why in today's climate, it's very hard to have a real organic rock star like an Axel or even to make it, you know, to progress here in Shotgun News to the next uh, story, like, like a Scott Weiland. You know, yeah, obviously he took the the real rock star thing a little too far with the the drugs and, and how you pass away. I mean, because that's a, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately a rock star cliche. But reason I bring up Scott Weiland now. Uh, so, again, as we were recording this, I try to be in real time. So, yesterday, uh, I have to say a big thank you to uh, Remco uh, from the Netherlands, who was a co-host on this show when we interviewed Chips Enough. And all Remco is, is just a fan. Like, yes, Raz is co-hosting today. And, yeah, you're a fan, but you you know, you know, have the background of being in that life, L.A. Guns' first manager, getting Axel to be in L.A. Guns as their first singer. You're an author. You know, so you have this background to, you know, why you could be a co-host as well. But with, with Remco, and I've had other fans come on, you know, like, uh, of course, like Sir Kev from, uh, from Ireland. And uh, so it's just... Something about, like, during this whole journey of podcasting, I've made some connections through the GNR world and everything of that nature. So uh, we got to know Remco a little bit with the uh, the Chip uh, podcast, and he was going to the uh, the show in Berlin, kicking off the Not In This Lifetime, what is it, the third leg of the tour, but the summer stretch of it. So he went to Berlin and offered to do some filming for me. I was like, sure. I gave him my, you know, access to the Appetite for Distortion with Brando on on, on Facebook, and he took some live video uh, from some of the, the sound checks, from even some of the opening acts with uh, the, the Manic Street Preachers and Greta Van Fleet. And what was really cool because he, he we there was rumblings before that they were practicing Slither from Velvet Revolver. This was probably like when they first started the reunion. We saw it on a set list, but you never know what's uh, going to be photoshopped or not. So then we heard it on a sound check, which was great. And that started to go viral a little bit. You're like, are they actually going to do this? So when they actually played Slither, 
and 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 uh, Remco did a, a short little video of that. I think last time I got I get I get checked uh, I checked that rather if I could speak English uh, has like over fifteen thousand views on our Facebook, which is incredible. great, man, in a day. Yeah, which is just absolutely incredible. Just for a short uh, clip, but I'll play you. I don't know if you heard any of it yet, but for those of who haven't heard it at all, I like to think if you have, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, but I'll play you a little bit of uh, Guns N' Roses uh, doing Slither, and we'll get your your opinion on that, Raz, while we uh, hopefully we'll speak to Jamie in just a couple. So here's GNR. Do oh, and he started off with uh, by the way, Axel saying we're gonna try something new. We hope you like it. So do you like it? We'll see. Obviously, the the quality isn't the best. I mean, that's off YouTube, and uh, I have been excited for this. What I, I like about this, most of all, before I ask you maybe your opinion on the sound, and you know, we had a preface it. That's off YouTube. You, you just, I can't. It's, I hate judging things like that because when I listen to Axel sometimes off YouTube, it's really honestly not as good as when I see him live. He's never disappointed me live, but off YouTube, I'm sometimes like, eh, that sounds weird, but that's not accurate. So anyway, what I love about this, it's, you know, Duff and Slash have been playing Chinese democracy, right? So now they're playing, now Axel's playing Devil Revolver. So I just love that, that it's kind of been become, I don't know, like a family that they respect each other's work while they were broken up. I mean, so that alone, I love it. I that aside, then I will say I look forward and hope they keep this in the set list that it will get better because I think that song could be tighter. But who am I to judge? Well, I guess I'm somebody with a microphone. You're a freak with a microphone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I guess, but overall, I'm really, really happy that they did it at all. You got the the microphone shaped like a gavel. <laughs> I should get that. That'd be good, man. So, um, okay, so I I always, like, thought, like, you know, listening to Velvet Revolver back in the day, I always kind of actually wanted to hear Axel sing that particular song. Hmm. Like, I thought, man, that this is kind of like, you know, because even Stone Temple Pilots had a couple songs. It's like, man, those, those could be Guns N' Roses songs almost, you know, or he's like Scott sounds like Axel on those songs, kind of, so... That song, yeah, uh, Slither. I thought, man, that'd be great. And then, so yeah, I don't. I'm never. I don't judge by what I hear on YouTube. That's why I can't. I'd like to see them keep it in their set, and then hopefully they'll. You know, it did seem. You know, like it lacked a little bit of energy. It just seemed like yesterday, but you never know what. Uh, it's like I don't think Axel would have agreed to do it if he wasn't into it, and it almost seemed right. like he wasn't into it on stage. So obviously something got lost in the translation, or. Who knows, before the show, you know, what they had problems with customs or getting into town or maybe everybody was like, <laughs> who knows what happened like prior because we'll see, man. Hopefully they keep it in the set. 
Yeah, and I'm kind of with you that there was something missing. Now, Remco, who was at the show, he said everything was great. The whole show was great. But he's like, I feel like Axel's like sick or something. But you can tell he's battling through it and still doing a great job. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, just a little, you know, and they play, They only played less than two hours or something, which is kind of unheard of of them lately, right? Right. And then some fans were complaining about that. I mean, did they just set their standard way too high? Because a two-hour show or almost... wondering. Right? Because no one does what they... Unless you're Bruce Springsteen. I've often used that analogy of playing three hours plus. And no one ever expected that for Axel to even do that. So when he plays less, I mean, yeah, you know what? You wonder what that decision is. Did they do it because maybe somebody wasn't feeling well or or who knows? Uh, who knows? But I'm, I'm really happy they did it at all. You know, when you play three hours, man, you can get a lot. Of, you can keep a lot of people happy with the songs that you play, right? So there was people that probably their songs they wanted to hear. Like, well, yeah, they didn't play, uh, was it, not Anything Goes. What's the one that just well, they, used to? I think they didn't play Com- uh, Coma. I don't think they played. No, but they just released that video. That oh, uh, Shadow of Your Love? Shadow of Your Love. They didn't play that. That would have been awesome, man. I, they did that at Soundcheck, for the, from what I, I saw. Oh, yeah, I, from... saw the Rev, I saw the feed, the, the Remco guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he got some good shots, man. He was there all day, man, posting stuff. So Yeah. So, yeah, people should definitely go to you if they are not already going to your Appetite for Distortion Facebook page. They should check it out, man. You got a lot of great clips from yesterday. So yeah, uh, Remco uh, GNR at Remco GNR on uh, on Instagram took a lot of uh, great photos, and it's so funny, uh, Raz. I'm getting messages from people like, "Are you in Berlin? Are you in Germany?" No, I'm not. I'm like, I understand what the page says with Brando, and it's usually it's me posting, but I also. I mean, you can never know. I was confused, too, man. Uh, yeah. Even my girlfriend, she's like, did you go to a concert today and didn't tell me? But, <laughs> but it's, you never know, like, what post you see first. I did announce, even, like, the day before, and this leading up to it, that we're going to do live videos and things of that nature with Remco, and he did even tag his name. But whatever. It's not that big of a deal. I wish I, I did a quick a quick uh, trip to Germany, but no, that did not happen. And who knows? Actually, Remco might be doing that for us uh, a few shows down, down the line because I've been meeting some people, a quote meeting some people, just like with you, Raz. We haven't, we have yet to shake hands and meet face to face. But I've been meeting people through this podcast who go to multiple shows, and I can obviously only really go to the. Uh, New York shows, which are not on the schedule at all, uh, at least right now. Maybe I, I may go to the uh, the Miles Kennedy show. Uh, I think they're going to be playing in Brooklyn in October, and I'm hoping, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, to interview uh, um, some members of the band. Not Slash. I don't think I'm I'm, I'm that level yet, but uh, well, you interviewed his kid. I did. I did. I'm I'm getting there. I have it. Call his kid and have him like hook you up with an interview with his dad. <laughs> I'm trying. They're gonna do something in in store. Um, I was talking to uh, Todd Kearns' uh, rep because I'm hoping to get him back on the show for that. And they said they're gonna do something in store because I was gonna see like, hey, do you want to come down in the studio? Um, do you know? Uh, oh my God, what, what's his face uh, from I need uh, Jimmy Webb from I need more? No, I don't. Oh, cause he. I see. I don't know like if. I'm I'm surprised that maybe your you your guys' paths didn't cross at some point because he seems like an older guy. I might no. know, but I don't I don't remember. He has a well, now I, I mean I want to get his whole story at some point, uh, but now he has a, a shop in Brooklyn, a rock and roll shop uh, called I Need More, and Slash has been there, Duff has been there uh, promoting. They'll wear their shit on uh, the I Need More stuff on stage sometimes, uh, but they're gonna do something live in studio and. 
Tom Kearns' people said, hey, if you want to come down, you can come down. So I think I might do that. Who knows if I'll just get the meat slash, I don't know about interviewing him, but I'm I'm, so we'll see. That's in October, and I'm already counting my chickens. Got to get uh, Mark Pachon, man. He makes, he's all the rock and roll clothes out here. He went to Fairfax High with the Slash and Duff and Axel wear all this stuff. Mark Vachon, he's great. That's what you got to do. We were talking uh, off the air, Raz, about even you doing your own podcast. You got to like create like or storyboard the high school that was. Yeah, that's why I uh, remember Marcel Circus. I was bringing her up because, man, I bet she's got the best Fairfax High stories. Yes. She was working for a ticket broker back then, so she got to. She was like the queen of all those rockers, you know, like. And she's going to be a future guest. What was the book that she wrote? Um, oh, Shishka or something like that. A, a guide. It's uh, a guide to getting along with your Jewish in-laws or whatever. See, I love it. See, just like how you handicap in Guns N' Roses, that's part of me, but also her, Jew in Guns N' Roses, that's the other part of me. I'm not hey. a complicated man, so that's another guest uh, Raz Q is going to bring us in uh, in the future. And I'm looking forward to talking to her and getting her story, which sounds cool. But I don't know. I'm always getting this, like, Saved by the Bell vibe from Guns N' Roses just back then. What was that high school like? I feel like you can you can make a Netflix show about that, you know, about I really think I think it w- there should be a documentary on Fairfax High say from like 1982 to like 1988 or something. Yeah, do it. Those 6 years or whatever cuz if you think about it everybody commingled like the people the class that came in in 82, right? Mhm. They were there for four years, so all the people that came in on their fourth year went through to eight, you know, eighty-eight, and then it's like, man, just the music royalty of uh, out of that school and like actors and I mean, just everybody. But, uh, man, I think like CEOs and it's crazy, man. That school. I don't understand because I mean, I went to twenty-six different schools, and no school has like like I can look at what what came out of the school that I went to, and there's no. I mean, maybe Newport Harbor High might be like a close second, but that's all just a bunch of lawyers and doctors, you know, <laughs> that got super successful. So No, there's got to be some a story there that you can do either like a documentary on or based on like a true story. Like, think about that. Everyone wants to be a rock star in high school. There's a lot of shows about that. Maybe like the one rocker kid uh, in the in the cast. I just got to say by the bell reference. If I'm sorry, man. I'm slow. When I wake up in the morning. But that is kind of funny. Oh, but you're also a little, you're like a little a rocker old. rocker version of Saved by the Bell, right? Or how about do something more in your age group? How about Welcome Back, Hotter? Let's do that. Ah. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Oh, oh. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> hey, do I get to be Barbarino? What? I asked my friend Vinny from New York uh, what which character on Cotter. I always thought he'd say Barbarino, but he wanted to be Juan Epstein. <laughs> I think that's what I told uh, Rob Gardner when he had the fro back in the day in that uh, uh, yeah, yeah. that original Guns N' Roses photo that you have, that he has the fro like a Juan Epstein or even uh, yeah. Freddie <laughs> Freddie Boomer. Washington. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. In our school, like my, in my class at my high school, we had Slash, Tracy Guns, Chris Weber, uh, called the who's the can't that didn't Hillel Slovak go there? Oh yeah, from I mean, the, like all these the Chili like, world class. Yeah, all these world class guitar players. You know, it was weird, man. All guitar right. culture. So get to work on that, Ras. Yeah, the um, you know what's funny is like I think about it a lot because uh, like 
basically like LA Guns was just my high school band and we like every school we went to there was like you know a garage band like we were in the rock scene there was a garage band we go hang out and drink beer or whatever and it's like it's weird the you know like the what at that one school like everybody hit the big time I mean different levels but they all hit the big time so yeah, absolutely. So get to work on that. Storyboard something about uh, Fairfax High School. I want to make one of those uh, turn yourself into cartoons and then do, it, do that, yeah. Doubt. Yes. Yes. I'm going to hang up right now and do that. <laughs> well, not yet. Not yet. We still got to talk to uh, to Mr. Hunting. But um, it's not like you also don't have enough on your plate that you're working on. What have you been working on since we, we last spoke to you? I know you're always so busy. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I got a couple books I'm like, they're basically done, but once I get them done, I like to. Uh, but they're both like one's a crime thriller novel, and the other other ones like a post-apocalyptic or post-financial apocalyptic, you know, United States scenario. But they uh, once I get them done, then I just let them sit. They got to just sit for a while. I'm going to pick them up in like three or four months and get back to it. So huh. I've just been learning how to video edit and working on an audio book for. Uh, the Days of Guns and Razzes, I'm going to do an audio version, and, and probably Bud's Love Bus, too, my novel. And, uh, yeah, it's just weird. I'm such a perfectionist. Like, I, I start, and I don't, I don't like the microphone I had at first, and I got another one, and now I'm, like, learning. So it's good. I got it. I, I actually just started to knock out the actual chapters, like, six months later after, like, deciding to do it. So That's really cool. Wait, so when you're finished, you put it down for three, four months? And, like, read it? When I write? It? Yeah, I just let Yeah, I don't look at it, man. I print it out. And then I just throw it up on a shelf and then, like, start working on something else and don't even think about it. Because you get too familiar with it when you're working on it and you don't, you don't really notice obvious mistakes. That's true. Or, yeah, like timeline errors, grammatical errors, like giving the wrong character the wrong words, you know. Hmm. It's, just, it's weird, yeah. I, my first book, Bud's Love Bus, I didn't do that. And it was, man, I had to go back and once it was out... I had to go back and take it down and rewrite it just because I missed so much stuff. Mm. I learned. I was like, just forget about it. Let it breathe, I call it. Well, just to think that was your first book, and now maybe, you know, when you have, like, next year, are you thinking? Like, what's the timetable? You might actually have four books under your belt. Yeah, probably, uh, I'm probably at the end of the summer going to start doing the editing process on, you know, uh, getting all the fine-tuning on the, the, there's one that's like much farther uh, realized than another, so I'll do the least, you know. So I'll do that one first. So to, yeah, probably next year, early next year. But the audio book, I'm hoping to get it out by uh, mid mid July. Nice. Yeah, it should be good, man. Do, do you do voices? Are you gonna be like, no, this is Tracy, this is Axel, this is Raz? Yeah, you know, I, I've had I had that opportunity already, and I I didn't. I just did. I just read it like somebody reading a book to somebody. Okay. <laughs> sure. I was thinking. I I actually went through a couple of takes where I would like talk like someone. I was like, well, even if I kind of nail it, you know, it might be insulting to some people. It's like I don't mean it as insulting. I just meant it as like just trying to change the voice. But I'm like, I'm just gonna read it straight. It's just gonna be me and maybe just, you know change the emphasis on words. But I'm gonna read it in my voice yeah, all the way through. Right on. Well, you have a beautiful voice, Mr. Q. So I don't. Oh, thank I, you. I look forward to it certainly. Uh, so I'm learning more about you, Raz. Every time I speak to you, and that's you know we had to start somewhere. I really didn't know anything about Raz Q prior to our episode. Now I know. I know a lot, but certainly not as much as you, you're you're letting on because you have. Uh, Many layers, and that's I'm sure the same could be said of of James James slash Jamie Hunting, 
whose story I only have snippets of, and I I, I know we're only scratching the surface, so I believe uh, he's calling up right now. All right. Hey, Jamie, what's going on? Nothing much, man. I just... Uh... It's, um, I'm just sitting here with this Gretsch Duo Jet in my hand. It's not a bad guitar, man. Um, uh, just it's hot out here today. It's hotter than hell, man. It's freaking bacon. So where are you calling from again, Jamie? Pasadena. Van Halen, ten. Nice. You got to get some Zanku chicken, man, and then. Uh... Oh man. Yeah. Yep. Just that place. My my friend's making me something to eat right now. I love what you guys been doing, doing, Rand. I just been uh, man. I wrote a couple books and uh, went to college. I mean, since the last time I seen you, a bunch of stuff, and then like nothing. Smoked a couple like truckfuls of pot. That's about it. (laughs) Right on. And I'm not talking like pickup trucks either. Uh Monster trucks, monster trucks. I'm sure. what kind of what kind of guitar you got right there? Is it is it Gretsch Duo Jet? It's a, um, the hollow body? No, no, actually, no. This is a solid body. I think it is. It's a, it's okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a I like it. Head. Jamie's like not only are you our guest, but it's like your official you're our official house band for this episode as there well. You go. Right on, man. I'll don't don't take the spot. I'll <laughs> take it. No, I'm into it. And, be- and before we proceed, because uh, Raz and I were talking about it on the intro, and I know I asked you briefly off the air, do you prefer okay. Jamie or James? Because, of course, you're listed as James on the Outpatients record, but you're listed as Jamie on Facebook. That's how we were introduced. What do you, do you, you know, Mr. Hunting, what do you, what do you prefer? <laughs> or James, as they say in South America. Uh, James is fine, man. James okay. is cool. Okay, James. James. Yes. Uh, all right, you got it. You can call me Jamie if they want, you know, but it's, you know, that was, you know, it, it came from when I was a kid and that's some people stuck with. But, uh, you know, my older compadres, they call me James, you know. All right, so. J- James, it is. Right, James. So before, because uh, I want to obviously, um, you know, thank you for uh, James for, for coming on the show. I know we, we, we've spoken a few times over the past few weeks and. Yeah. I, you, you never know when you first are introduced to somebody, especially when it's over the phone, if it's going to be awkward, because it's the first time you're meeting somebody. You don't, you don't know what their cadence is, what their sense of humor is, but you sure. have like just been very open and honest and just very sincere. So I've just been looking forward to this for a while, because I feel like I've known you for a while at this right point. Now, we, we spent a few minutes on the phone talking about our personal stuff and, you know... Um, we have some things in common, actually quite a few things. But, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to it, too. And uh, God, there's so much stuff to talk about. It is. And I wanted Raz to be on this episode because I know, uh, you know, you guys really know the history of, of GNR and, of course, of, of West. Uh, Arkeen, his, uh, the anniversary of his passing was just a few days ago. So I guess it's, for lack of a better word, appropriate to uh, to speak with you now. But... I guess before we get to that, and of course, Raz, whenever you have, you know, do your Raz thing whenever you have follow-up questions, just, you know, tell me to shut up and jump in. But I want to... Uh, right now? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, so, James, I want to know, like, where did you grow up? Are you from the West Coast? Are you from California? Where did uh, young James uh, come from? I'm, I'm, young James came from Pasadena, man. It's 117 degrees when I was born in um, late September, and... Uh, you know, I spent a lot of my life here. Um, 
lived in Hawaii for a little bit in Tokyo, Japan. But I've always been back here to Pasadena. Actually, Altadena um, is where I live. But, you know, I was born in Pasadena, Huntington Memorial. There's a big hospital down here. And uh, you know, basically uh, haven't strayed too far for, for too long. But, there's you know, there's lots of good places uh, to, to live. It's just, uh, you know, relocating is, you know, this is this has been where my musical roots and all the people I know have come from you know ed call and alcohol the van halen brothers live right down the street and you know dave roth uh, all that and uh i came up right behind those guys but i did do the backyard party thing here oh yeah kind of van halen got started yeah they just they just kind of bumped up the backyard party to the to a bigger venue you know but there were some really really big parties that used to happen around here and i was on the tail end of that um, there's a part of Pasadena that's, you know, probably has more money than Beverly. As a matter of fact, it has more money than Beverly Hills. But the houses are insane, and a couple of those guys liked having parties. And uh, well, their mom was gone, and then they got to be legendary parties. I mean, these were huge estates where they could build stages, and thousand people would show up. Man, hmm. down the street, imagine a thousand people, you know, walking down the street to go to a party at a house. It's just crazy, man. They don't do that stuff anymore now. No, those guys, those guys played down the street. I mean, when I, I was. I was too young to go to go to any concerts like that, but but it, they played two blocks down and one block over, and it sounded like they were right next door, man. And they were loud. They were loud. They used to play all over the area. You could hear them everywhere. They were loud. So is that what got you uh, first into music? Because I, it, not, uh, we'll just skip a couple heads, uh, um, moments ahead, just in this sentence. But I know you would eventually work with David Lee Roth, which is a, a trip. But is, yeah, it, it was a trip, man. It was a trip, for lack of a better word. But I mean, in, in that time, is that what got you into music? Just being in that no. scene, because it seems like it was every everywhere. So, but or did something else first uh, make you pick up the guitar or bass and or bass? Um. I was actually playing before um, before I spoke of you know hearing those guys. Okay. You know, making all that racket down the street, man. It's 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 more fun if you have if, if you're making the racket rather than receiving it. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. But like like that Marshall ad says, pissing off the neighbors since 1966. That's about it. But, uh, but I started actually. I started playing um, in church. You know, um, and I go, it goes back to having having a guitar in my hand in 1970. Um, I started playing on a baritone ukulele and a tenor banjo. Both huh. my granddads played. Both my grandmas played. My mom was a singer. Um, she wasn't. She didn't turn professional. She got married and had us kids. And uh, but I, yeah, I was playing early. Um, but in that seventies, um, I had strings in my hand. Uh, by seventy four, uh, seventy three, seventy four, I was playing electric guitars. With, and then electric guitars with the two two strings cut off to be a bass, and then '75 was a bass. I got a Fender bass in '75. What was the rig you used back then? Like when you first started out, man, you remember your first rig? I had a I bought a Fender Mustang bass then for 155 bucks. I used to I used to either thumb it downtown, catch a bus or a ride or whatever, and I go to all the way down Allen Avenue where I lived at the top of Allen and took down to Colorado Boulevard, which is a main drag in, in Pasadena where the Rose Parade is and all that. And there's all kinds of music shops back then, you know, one every you know six to eight blocks, and I used to hit them all. Until they kick me out and I move on to the next one, <laughs> and finally I got enough money to go. buy. You know, Syria is a great place to spend a day. Great way to spend a day. I just sit on a stool, and they had you, you could sit on a stool and play guitars. It's not like Guitar Center is now, where everybody and their mother goes in there. This is back when you know we didn't have guitar centers. You know, well they had the Guitar Center, that old one in Hollywood, but they didn't have. It wasn't as exposed. So I just go sit there and, and kind of thumb through the the, the bases and then. 
sit there and play them. And finally, um, I was got came up with enough money. And the guy's like, he, you know, he, they couldn't believe it, man. He wants to buy it, you know. So I, I got it was between that that base, the Fender Mustang base, and and another base across town. And I opted for the Fender, which is probably you know I'm more of a Fender guy than anything. The, the Precision base and the Jazz base. Although I've had a lot of Gibson, like Rippers and stuff. Uh, but and, and Thunderbirds, but uh, the Fenders are where where, I, where I'm at. But that, that was 1975, and uh, I, my my rig. I didn't after I bought that bass. It took me a little while to get a rig, so I I, I was hot wired stereos. Um, oh yeah, yeah the old back of the stereo bit, yeah. yeah. Hot wiring the mom and dad stereo is huh. what, what was going on, and and uh, and man, wow, it's how things have come a long way. Um, but yeah, playing along with. Uh, Playing, playing along with stuff on the radio, KKDJ, playing along with like early Kiss stuff was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, whatever came on the radio, whatever came on, I jam along to it. But I remember playing, um, um, I remember messing around with Jet Beck's Wired. My brother had some tapes. I never had a record collection. I couldn't afford them. So I just, you know, I, I listened to other people's records or the radio. Hmm. And, um, I, you know, but the records that I was exposed to, I, I, uh, I tried to cop as much stuff as I could. I, I really, I was really into the old Alice Cooper band and uh, the old Elton John band. I love Dee Murray. He's one of my favorite bass players ever, man. The guy, the, those guys changed my life. Changed my life. And uh, Dennis Dunaway, another guy, changed my life. I mean, wonderful sure. playing, you know. And um, that gig was mine, Elton John's gig. It's a sideman heaven, but I always liked that band. And uh, Bob Birch got the, the gig when Dee Murray passed away, and. Um, um, I used to joke with him, you know, how he had my gig, and um, you know, it's just too bad what happened with Bob. He he uh, he ended his life mm-hmm. a few few short years ago, and because he was he'd hit, he'd been hit by a car overseas, and you know the pain he never really recovered. You know, he just was a mess. His body was messed messed up, and from my understanding, he couldn't take the pain anymore. But so, um, Davy Johnstone, who was the musical director, in a, in a pinch, uh, went out and grabbed he, he grabbed Matt Bissonette. And Matt Matt is a friend, and he's a good bass player, and that's all cool. But was, those those guys were the ones I listened to most because I had access to the music. And um, but and, 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 and you know, like the first rock I got into too, man. I love that stuff. You know, it's just, it's what was happening at the time, and it's just um, I, I can taste the music, and but uh, you know, I got it's still I, I played in church for a while, and there's a, I had a couple. I went to a private school, and I had a couple teachers that were nuns that were really really cool to me, and and it kind of influenced me a lot. Oh wow, okay. And, uh, Sister Nikki, I, I mentioned her in a, a base mag base magazine interview a few years ago, and and she said I found out she's still alive, man, and. Uh, <laughs> And we actually got a chance to talk, and she remembered me. And and uh, that's great. I, I loved her. I loved her more than anything. And she's uh, and there's a sister, sister Dorothy. The rest of them could could fly kite, but those two were really <laughs> wonderful, really cool and and wonderful people. And they're both still alive, and they and they encouraged me with music. And uh, you know, I just wanted to let them know that I never forgot them, and 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 you know, wanted them to be proud of where I've gone with it. You know. Um, which is, you know, a lot of places for a guy who's never had a call card. Um, well, I was going to ask you, like, what kind of a, a student were you growing up? If you were just hanging out in those guitar shops, if you were, you know, just working odd jobs to save up money, or were you still going to school at the same time? Were you skipping class? Because I always try to get a sense of what, again, what the you, little James you know, was like. I was I was a good student. Um, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I had a twin brother who beat me to all that shit, so... Um, 
um, you know, I, I tried to level it out by, you know, doing the right thing. But you know, I had my fair, I had my fair share of uh, skipping classes. But you know, when I started playing, you know, I was still in really kind of, you know, grade school. You know, I was, I'd, you know, I was remember bringing my electric bass to grade school, and uh, um, um, you know, that back then it wasn't really like I could really cut class, but. Shortly after that, I went to um, couldn't find a really couldn't find a proper school to, to high school to go to, but I ended up going to the this place across town. Uh, it was a pretty rough school, but um, so I skipped a lot of classes there, and I, I and I went to work where I finally bought a bass amp, a good bass amp. It was a Fender Bassman 100, man, four twelves and a hundred watt head. That's like a pea shooter now, but man, it sounded so good. It sounded really warm, and I I just loved it, man. That was my first amp. I saved up. I worked. You know, I'd, I'd go to school, check in, and check out, man. Take the bus downtown and go earn some bread, you know, so I could get, get some gear and stuff. But, you know, I was a good student. You know, I got I got good grades. And, uh, but, right, right um, on. You know, it's it's, imp- it's important. You know, you got to learn something about something. But, I, you know, I didn't really like going to school. And as, uh, um, I didn't – I didn't when I went to high school, I didn't – I I didn't you know bring my bass to school every day. I I, I left that stuff at home and uh, you know I I, I uh, just kept it kind of private. You had a high school band? Hell no. I, we I had a band. I had a band through high school, but I wasn't in a, any band at high school or, or you know I wasn't in the marching band. Oh, I get it. But we had a band and like a garage band. Yeah. What were you guys called? Actually, people still talk of today. It's you know I see people and they still remember us. It's bizarre. It's because the backyard. It's because the backyard party thing. People still recognize and remember. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's really cool. Because we were so young, you know, we were just you know high school whippersnappers. But the band, we we you know we we made a lot of we made a lot of noise and and played a lot of high profile parties around here. And there was lots of bands playing around back then. Uh, you know, that was just the end of a really great era. You know, up to you know '82 maybe. And uh, like the uh, and then, what's it? What's the what's that band? Um, Smile or whatever, and Pegasus. And, oh yeah, those were those were all Hollywood bands, though, weren't they? They well, they were they were from my oh, area, but they no, but no, too, yeah. Snow and Smile and Quiet Riot, all Quiet those Riot, bands. yeah. yeah, yeah. Too, I was play, I, I got a job playing with Eddie Money. Um, too, I always wanted to play with Eddie's band when I first saw him at the Coliseum in '79, and and then as it, I was, uh, they were, there's a chance I was going to join the band in '82 and play the US Festival with them. Oh, okay. So I was on deck with that. Uh-huh. But I mean, but I, I'd actually joined the band. I think it was in '85 or '86. And and Tommy Gervin, the, the the guy, the guitar player, Smile. Um, my buddies and I got stranded out the Starwood one night, and, and he and his girlfriend they he carried all the gear, from, you know, in his van. And those guys used to pack that place, and they were a good tight band. Smile was oh, a hell band. yeah, 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 great, really fucking good band. And uh, they laid it down. But Tommy drove me and a couple, the, the guys I was in a band with. You know, we were much younger, and uh, he took us home to each one of our doorsteps, man. And and that was just amazing. Tommy's a cool guy. So uh, when it came time to auditioning second guitar players, because uh, I was already in. Eddie's band, and there was already a main guitar player. Me and Kevin Gilbert got the gig the same day, and you know, from Toy Matinee, and uh, rest his soul. Um, but it is up with between Tommy Gervin and somebody else. And Tommy auditioned for Eddie before and didn't get it. So to pay back the favor, I told him, "Come over, come over, man. I'll show him all the live stuff. Give him, a, give him a head start. You know, going up against this other cat. I didn't really know. So he came, he showed up, and I, I we ran the, the, all the live arrangements, and he got the gig. 
Awesome. And, uh, and he held it, and, and that broke up smile. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, he was gone, man. He, and he stayed, he, he hung with Eddie Money until just a couple of years ago, man. Hmm. When, when Eddie finally uh, told the band to call it quits, which is unfortunate because he, you know, his, his, his kids were going to be playing with him. And uh, I went and saw a show. I hadn't seen Eddie in, you know, Quite quite some time, but some friends dragged me out to a show as a surprise. He was saying they're going to reunite, reunite me with an old friend, and uh, I'd be going, "Where the hell are we going?" So, and so I finally saw the marquee, and I said, "Oh, it's Eddie Money," you know. Um, so we we saw the show, and I went back and said hello afterwards. And you know, he looked up, he recognized me immediately. But Eddie's shown some mileage, man. He's done a lot of miles. But his <laughs> kids were really good. His kid, he was, he's kind of showing his kids the ropes, you know, how to do I it. I think they have a reality show now, don't they? With him and his kids. I heard, I heard about that, man. I, I've seen enough reality with Eddie, man, and his family, <laughs> <laughs> including his Rottweilers, you know, who are addicted to cocaine, man. Because when we were working, he used to blow a half a gram out, out of his nose when he'd blow his nose. <laughs> And 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 the the, the the smelly Rottweilers in his house would start digging through the trash. Finally, they they stopped digging through. They started tearing the trash cans apart. When <laughs> he needed to go on tour, they ripped the house apart. So the Rottweilers were addicted to coke, man. man, the carpet crawling Rottweilers. Oh, poor doggies. Oh, yeah, they're cringing, man. These these poor dogs, and and uh, they, I mean, they were just big smelly mutts, man. And they were oh god, can you imagine them? Um, but yeah, he was. Uh, there was a, that was a, a, a trip, man. But Tommy, you know, Tommy Gervin stuck with that band all the way through, and um, you know, hung hung in there for a long, long time, man. So I was, you know, I was proud to help him get that job. He probably would have got it anyway. But yeah. hey, a little surfer, Tommy Gerken. a little surfer. <laughs> here's here's an Eddie. Hey, I got a hold of the escort service. They're on their way, and they're holding. That's, That's pretty right. good. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. Uh, Eddie's such a New Yorker, man. He's crazy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. No, I've I've met him uh, not in, in the capacity you have, but on some Long Island stations I've worked at. He's been nice enough to come down to the studio and do some interviews. So yeah, always very nice, always very gracious. You know, that I would like to him. I mean, I guess if this is for him, the time for him to retire, I guess from touring. You know, it's I guess, you know, not everyone is going to do it until they die. Like. Like Lemmy, like Mick Jagger, and, and like Mick Jagger. Well, yeah, Lemmy too, man. I or hope Mick, they, I hope sure. They, I hope they all ride it in the shore, man. Mick seventy four is still doing it. So is Roger, Roger Daltrey. I mean, these guys are still doing it, man. It's amazing. Yeah. I remember when people were bitching about you know becoming thirty and still doing this. You know, and, and <laughs> we're, we're over double that. So you know, to heck with anybody who says we can't do what we want to do, man. Let's, you know, those guys are kicking down the doors and they're still doing it. They are, and I want to get to um, your your time with Roger Daltrey as well. But I uh, I want to know uh, when was the the catalyst for you to to know that you can do this for a living? Yes, you love it. You've been, you know, going to the guitar shops. You've been. You know, you're, you're coming from a very musical family, but was it when you were with Eddie Money that you were like, okay, I can do this for a living, or was that just a fun moment at the time? You know, it's, it, I, I still haven't, you know, considered this doing this that I can do this for <laughs> a living. Fair, but uh, I, I, the only re- I, I, the only reason I still play is because um, I really enjoy it, and when I stop enjoying it, I'll stop playing, and, and uh, you know, and, and as far as working goes, I always say yes. Hmm. You know, we'll figure it out later, but yeah, sure. You know, let's, at least let, let's, you know, let's explore it. You so know, wait, you're, you're saying you're an automatic guest. Stay in trouble. Is you, you know, that's how I've been able to stay in trouble. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Raz, go ahead. 
Oh, wait, so you're just, like if an act calls you up, you're just an automatic yes, and then like that, if you don't like it later, you just. I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm open to hear what, what, what they have to offer or what's okay. going on. And, and, and you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a slut, but I'm not a, I'm not a damn, you know, that much of a slut. But you know, something. <laughs> if I can, if it's something I can fit into and, and it work for all of us, you know, for everybody involved, okay. then it's cool. You know, you're but, a slut uh, with standards. Yeah, I'm a slut with with, with very low standards. <laughs> you're, you're a prostitute, not a whore. Yes, that's right. And I, I give you your money back after you're done if you give me a reach around, right? <laughs> nice. but, uh, no, but honestly, that's that's what's, what's kept me going. You know, sometimes doing gigs that aren't really high-profile gigs or not not as high-paying gigs, they sometimes it opens the door to eat even better stuff. And it's just kind of strange sure. how it works. Yeah. You know, uh, you have to remain open to things. Like when I went, you know, when I met West Arkeen, you know, I, I, I was doing a, some, a couple out of town dates with this group and the keyboard player, uh, Greg Buckwalter, who was playing, was telling me about this guy West. And, uh, I was telling him he had these weird chords and he was working with guns, guns and roses guys. And, and, uh, so I said, oh, you know, yes, he said, you should come down, man, meet him. So we, so I did. And uh, that's how the outpatients thing, that's how I started getting involved with West. Because the three of us were, uh, you know, we got together and then, and then uh, you know, West was uh, just getting clean off the of dope. And, you know, he, it wasn't any secret that he was, he had his troubles with that stuff on and off over the years. Uh, actually, I wouldn't know a lot about it until after he passed away. Because hmm. um, that wasn't really my thing, you know. You know, it, it's a really that the, 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 that dope the scene in Hollywood is. It's a really dark place, man. And and you know, it just it wasn't my scene. But um, so we were all kind of sober, and and uh, and it's, that's where it started. You know, I loved. I loved. We got along immediately. You know, me and West. I just liked the guy. You know, Hey, he was fun. Our, our dad, our dads are both named Skippy. You know, Skippy, hmm. and we do. No they, way. They, yeah, yeah. They yeah, like the peanut butter, you know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> were they smooth or were they or were they chunky? Yeah, it's smooth and chunky, man. <laughs> Thank you, Raz. I was about to make that terrible joke, but I'm glad you said it before I did. What about the hey, yeah, you got peanut butter Hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. Who was that? <laughs> That Donnie Most was on that commercial, wasn't that? The guy from Happy Days? Hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter on my chocolate. I do remember oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that commercial. Yeah, he was a poor man's uh, Danny Partridge, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, right, right. And he, Danny Partridge, he played a Mustang bass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Or he held one while the... Yeah, well, I used to, I used to watch him play, and I go, and, you know... That's right. He's on TV, man. But I mean, I, I'm playing the same bass right there. But and I never thought I had it made in in, 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 uh, in the music business as far as, and, oh, yeah, I can do this. Uh, you know, I, I always knew I could play, and but it wasn't a, I wasn't in competition with anybody. It was more of trying to learn more about myself and, uh, um, you know, a bunch of people waste their time if they're spending their time trying to be like somebody else. I mean, I try to emulate my favorite players, but I'm not trying to be them, you know? Did you have, like, maybe, like, a holy shit moment, I'm working with this person? Um, every day, man. Every day I work with somebody that's uh, – Fair. You know, you know a, lot, a lot of the guys, you know, uh, 
Well, David Lee Roth is there's a holy shit moment when when he called me up and yelled at me one day after leaving rehearsal when I at the time I was supposed to leave I was doing a record across town with my actor friend Joe Penny, and I had to split it. I'd agreed to to you know when they asked me to join his band. Dave's band, I agreed to do, go to Van Halen Manor, which is Dave's house, the Roth house, uh, from 12 to 3. And then the th- from 3 to 6, I, you know, I'd split out. After 3 o'clock, I'd leave to Hollywood to go out to finish Joe's record up. So I left at 3, you know, like I was supposed to do. And Dave called me up later that night and said, you know, it's rah, 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 never leave without talking to me. And, you know, kind of growled in football talk and hung up. I was like, whoa, man, I always heard about this, but I never. This is my first personal experience. And so... That lasted till Monday, and where I, I had my friend, an hairdresser friend of mine in town, was passed out on, on my bed. You know, we were out drinking and goofing off, and then he, he passed out in my bed. I'm sitting on the edge of it, going, "Well, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight, man." He's, you know, every arm with arms and legs were spread apart in every corner, so I'm like, "Screw this!" So I went downstairs and called Dave up at like five in the morning and just just screamed at him, you know. I decided, you know, if I'm going to take the, I'm not going to take this shit from, if I, if I, if I take that type of uh, treatment from, from a guy, uh, from, from anybody, man, if I, I don't say something about it, I'm, I'm, I'm just chopped liver to begin with if, if I'm going to take that type of stuff. So I dropped a daisy cutter on him and hung the phone up and said, well, there goes that job. But uh, Dave called back before I left the room and we, you know, we worked it out, but uh, this is a little football talk. I just said, you know, you, you can't talk to me like that. You know, I, I just I don't accept it, man. I, w- I wish you all the best, man. But you got to get somebody else. And you know, I basically put my job on the line for principle. Sure. And I really needed the work badly. I mean, desperately. And, and Dave was a pretty high profile gig even back then, on the tail end of his, you know, before he got all big again. But um, it was a big gig for me. You know, the Van Halens were heavy hitters. And Dave, Dave's no joke. So it was. Uh, I thought about it all weekend and came up with a. You know what? I'm not going to take it. Man, not even from Dave, man. You know. Well, that says a lot about you, and I, I, I feel like I'm kind of the same way. No matter, like at certain radio stations, I'm like, if you treat me this way, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Like yeah. radios, they're a hard, it's hard jobs. Yeah. They're hard. It's hard to find a job in radio, but Absolutely. I have the same kind of. It's not an arrogance thing. It's not like an ego thing. It's just talk to me like a person, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you set the standards of how you wish to be treated. If somebody treats you poorly, you, you, you have to say something and say, hey, wait a minute. Stop, 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 stop. Wait a minute. You know, the, you have to explain to them if they haven't learned you know, that, how, to, how to treat people properly, maybe you can help them. Um, and that's right, because if I, if I let that go or you let that go, I mean, everybody else thinks it's okay to treat you that way, too. Right. Open the floodgates up. And I wasn't trying to make any statement. I was just saying, you know what? It, it upset me so much that you called me up and yelled at me for doing nothing wrong, man. That really, that's, that's it, man. If I'd done something wrong, I, I'll accept it and I'll take it right. and I'll listen and make adjustments. But if I'd done nothing wrong, that's not a welcome to the camp, which I hadn't had. And this is two weeks into my tenure with him. I said, man, you know what? This is lame. You know, this is lame. You know, I love you, Dave. I'm on your side, but you know, I'm stepping back. I'll get you fine. You know, I hope you find somebody else that can deal with that stuff. Cause I'm not going to, you know, and that was it, you know. After that, we were kind of pals, you know. Pretty so, soon, Dave, Dave's calling me every day. Hey, let's go do this and that, you know, bouncing stuff off me. So I became kind of the guy who whispers in the guy's ear. You know, I could get things done through him. Talk to him, no problem, man. <laughs> I'll go right. I'll go right to the source, man. Not even through management. I'll just talk straight to Dave, which is exactly what I did, man. Save so me some trouble. You earned his respect by standing up to him. You kind of. It sounds like you earned his respect. 
You know what? That maybe so because uh, um, you know the guy listened to me, and and I and I had this. I was part of decision making processes, which um, it really wasn't any of my business. But he he addressed my opinion because he knew that I it wasn't bought and paid for. He knew that, you know, I'd tell him to go fly a kite, and I did, only because I was sticking up for myself, not because I don't like him or disrespect him. I was standing up for myself. And, you know, a lot of these guys will do that. They'll, they'll try. They'll, they'll, it's like a test. They'll knock, you, they'll knock you off balance to see where your center of gravity is, and they test you out. They want, you know, there's nobody that stands up in the middle of the stage where the X is that doesn't want swinging dicks behind them, I'm telling you. Because when they're throwing D-sized batteries at you, you want razors behind you. And maybe that's just <laughs> that's, maybe that's that's just the test that they give you. But, I mean, it's um, – you know, I I learned from experience. If you're going to accept that stuff, you know, it doesn't get any better. And I and I, I I exercise my experience and put my job on the line in the, using my experience. And it wasn't an easy decision because, uh, you know, I'm sure I, I I'm sure I could brush up on my ass kissing, but I mean, I just wasn't ready at that time. No, I, I hear you, and I know we can go on and on. I mean, I, I love Dave Lee Roth. Uh, I mean, his his autobiographies is one of my favorite rock autobiographies that I've read. But uh, which one is it? Which one is it? Crazy from the Heat, right? Is it, well, the, the, one of the one of those books. I, the, I, I'm the I'm the one who got him started on it. On the book itself. Yeah, the book itself, man. The, the concept and the idea. We were sitting after after hours, like we always did, having a little this and a little that, <laughs> and. Uh, talking about you know putting it all in a ball and writing it down i said look man before you go to bed every night just just write something down for 10 minutes some something you remember about the old days it's really good man and got them all fired up because i could do that with dave i could do that pretty soon i'm going up into the up hanging out in the house and going upstairs into the room driving his fucking car you know um which i've happened to actually ended up with the same mercedes as him as a convertible sec but it was badass, you know. David could be too tired. He's like, "Here, James, just take the car." So I take the long way home in that that old black Benz with the racing tires and racing rims, and the Kermit is just badass, man. I drive by everybody's house on the way home. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I found out, you know, I found myself hanging out a little more than you know, beyond work. You know, we just kind of became friends and pals and stuff. That's great. But, uh, that's, how the, that's how the book started. He gave me credit in it too, and I actually appear in it. That's um, great. I'm I, glad that you did because it gave me uh, more insight you, into man. David Lee Roth. I'm sorry, Ross. Go ahead. I was telling him, thank you. That's great, man. Who knows if the guy would ever, you know, it, the the hardest part is just writing down those first, you know, page or the first three days in a row, writing something down and exactly on the path, which is good. He might still be thinking about doing it if it wasn't, you know. So that's great. Thanks. He even hired us. He even hired his sister Lisa to come out on the road with us and take notes about like like all our after gig. Uh, traveling, you know, where he's fired up and telling stories and stuff, and she just kind of would observe and take notes, it was like almost like a stenographer or something. But he got pretty huh. serious about it. No, but uh, his ideas about that, you know, having a, to have a second part of the book, Van Halen A.D., you know, after Dave, uh, or something. Uh, like that. I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot of things from that man, and and he's just, he's a smart guy, as smart as they come, hardworking I, dude too. To to read his book, I learned a lot more about him than I would I've seen on MTV and his interviews because he's always you know the the game show host kind of Dave. But I learned about how learned about the world he is and how traveled he is. So it's good yeah. that we we have that. However, to go back to before, and of course you know one of the reasons why you're on this this podcast it's a Guns N' Roses podcast, and that being West Arkean. 
Uh, I know. Yes. Uh, so for me, again, I know my listeners know, and I know Raz knows, and I, I think I told you, uh, James, that I'm, I'm only 34. So GNR okay. was already broken up by the time I really became cognizant of, of who they were. And I right. knew uh, West Arkeen's name. You know, uh, and initially because he's on Appetite for Destruction. It's like, so who who is this guy? So, of course, right. over the years, I've done some research. I've watched some, you know, the very few videos of him and Axel. Mm-hmm. So I have a certain uh-huh. perception of, of who he was, but it's very, very small because there's not a lot out there about him. Now, Raz sure. was telling us before we got on the air with you that, you know, he knew West as well. So I'm, and, and Raz yeah. can help with this part. I want you to kind of like character build who... West Arkeen was like what kind of a person was he the, the the good stuff you know like was he funny was he smart you know what kind of presence did he have because I I just I have no idea you know Wes is Wes is a smart guy no doubt about it um, and 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 I used to love to make him laugh man <laughs> you know Raz you go man you go I'm gonna listen up yeah, I go did, on I just uh, yeah like you said make him laugh but it was easy to make him laugh he was just one of, you know he was just always good to go like for fun times or rowdy totally you know good. rowdy stuff yeah. like you know what's that a uh, Animal House okay you know that movie mm-hmm. Animal House John Belushi and uh, yeah yeah so that's I always think of Wes man and like cousin it in Animal House because he just you know, and his long ass, super long hair before everybody else had, you know, everybody had long hair, but Wes was like just long, long bangs. He'd play and he'd just be like hidden in his hair. And You mean uh, Cousin It from uh, Adam's Family? Adam's Family, yep. yeah. So like Animal House and Cousin It that you got, <laughs> like the, totally. the, plus he and, was, and like in his house, I heard it, you know, back then his house, the, his, the kitchen would be a, a freaking like, look, a bomb went off in it. Every, every room would look like a bomb went off, except... <laughs> The guitar room where all his guitars were, that was like a, was like a museum, man. All the guitars. That was that, that room was climate control and kept, you know, needed at all times, you know. Priorities, man, priorities. <laughs> he, loved his guitar, he, lo- he loved his guitars, man. And um, I'm sorry to cut you off, Raz. Uh, if, if, if I could, you know, if I could have buried him with his dot neck 335, his 59, which I knew he would have wanted, man, I couldn't fit the guitar in the coffin with him, man. But, uh, um, yeah. It's, yeah the, uh, it's, I, I, I remember, like, when he died, I wanted to start a rumor that he got buried with, like, a bunch of guitars so people would, like, dig him up all the time, just like Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> right, on. right on. Yeah. It's yeah, funny because, that. man, I, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. But the, the guitar, you know, it's just, just such a long story to what happened after Wes passed away. Um, I just, I, I learned so much about what I knew nothing about. But he, back to back to what type of guy he was. When we were living in Studio City, I got a place in Studio City, and this, um, we had, the, you know, we're setting up the boards, the 24-track board, and we were recording and started actually moving on to other, you know, recording acoustic guitar stuff. I had an upright bass at the house, and we're... You know, last song we recorded called was called "The Common Shadows." Me, is West Arkeen, um myself, and uh, the singer. Uh, what the hell is his name? Oh God! Um, was that Patrick or Tony or Patrick? Pat Patrick. Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, Stone. yeah. Patrick Stone. He's a Patrick Stone, right? Yeah, he's in but- a band called Butterside right now. They're pretty good, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Butterside. Yeah, man. I saw him at the whiskey, uh, um, and and uh, I played. Yeah, yeah. I liked the stuff when I heard it. I thought Patrick was re- really cool. Um, Wes was trying to groom him to be the next Axl Rose, and because he, I always thought he, Patrick was a star, man. I always thought that guy was a star. 
He's Patrick Scott. He's Scott. You know, he's 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 come a long way, man. I'm I'm really proud of him. He's come a long way since those days when we was hanging out with, at our house. A lot a lot of guys would come and hang out at our house, um, just because West. You know, I mean, we'd sit there and we'd jam, and West had a bunch of friends coming over. Uh, Jimbo Estrella, um, you know, all his riding buddies, Jimbo, and and uh, just a, a really eclectic group of people, and they all had special qualities, you know, right, Raz? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good group. Like he he attracted talent and uh, and like people that were fun to be around too. Like he didn't have a bunch of fucking dickheads around, you know. Right, right. And then what I heard, what I understood was, you know, Robert Plant would show up at at, the, at this house one day, you know, and yeah. just like casual, you know, it's like it was nothing to him. But he, you know, West wrote songs for a lot of people. But he, he you know, he was just like. <laughs> He had a he had a uh, he, I had a friend and my friend was in a group called Wildside that I guess Wes was producing or writing some songs for, but he he'd see them around town. He go, hey Wildside, he'd call him Wildside. <laughs> he wouldn't call him by their name. He would go, hey Wildside. That was kind of how Wes used a trip, man. Hmm. Trip. But the, the, the guys in Guns and Roses came out to play on the Outpatients record because only because. West asked them to because they they certainly weren't talking amongst themselves, but each one of them came out to to appear on that record because of respect for him and and, and also appreciation. That's my belief. So yeah, tell us how that 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 came to be because, you know, initially my thought was the last recorded uh, track that both Axel and Slash were on was the um, interview with the vampire. Uh, sympathy for the devil for years i thought this and then you know now that i'm doing this podcast and learning more and more about the history of gnr this outpatients mm-hmm. record which only came out in japan in 1996 and then it was released everywhere right in, in the early 2000s so it's well, after, well, after, after west died uh, uh, um the attorney uh, i called his attorney uh and this guy came down a real <laughs> real scumball man he removed he removed the uh, dictaphone tapes and took a couple masters took West West watch which he you know he bought West with his own money you know mm-hmm. these people there's a lot of people that just really uh, you know took 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 West for a buggy ride that he trusted and this guy's one of them anyway they they people that didn't belong uh, having that master and, and having making deals with licensing deals. Uh, with that thing, they changed the cover of it. They changed everything. They even changed the titles, man. Wow. They're trying to tout that. They're trying to sell it with the Guns N' Roses name attached to it. Oh. Yeah, the guys all played on the, the guys all played on the record. But I mean, it's still being sold now, and um, you know, um, none of the guys in the band uh, they were all cut out of it. You know, and uh, this is it's just a real it was a real bad scene, man. It's, mm. it, it, it was terrible what happened with that thing, but the, the music speaks for itself, and it's it's you know they they're selling. You could buy it at Kmart, you know, somewhere you know, or, or some record shop today probably. Um, so it wasn't just out in Japan. It came out, you know, they licensed that thing in as many places as they could. I guess it's you know there's a dispute between his, between his family members, his brothers and sisters, and it was just a huge mess, man. It, mm-hmm. it really was. The band got together and tried to, you know, get one attorney to, to do some things for all of us that, um, you know, um, for the band's behalf on the band's on the band's behalf, and uh, it just it, it was just way too far gone. 
I mean, it's just, it's just too much red tape, and it would have cost a fortune in attorney's fees. Well, just nothing was on, nothing was on the band's side. So, unreal. You know, they, they, you know um, it was it was just terrible what happened. Just, I mean, heartbreaking. Well, let's focus on, at least um, on the positive part of it because, yeah, there are a lot of the GNR members that were involved. Uh, you know, Izzy slash Axel, even Robert John did, did the photography, right? Yeah, and and uh, um, some friends, other friends, Howard Tiemann, who now has a hugely successful tattoo shop. Howard came in to play some piano, and you know, I insisted that Duff play. You know, I mean, hell, West asked me if it was cool if Duff played. I said, man, are you kidding? Absolutely, man, it's a must. <laughs> because nice. Duff and Duff, West was tight with those guys before. You know, before the outpatients, and and I, I wouldn't have had it any other way, man. I wish actually Duff played in a, more than one tune, but at least he played on one. And actually, we did basics up at Duff's house, up in the Hollywood Hills. We did the basics for that record, and uh, some of it at A and M, if I remember correctly. And um, it was just really cool, you know. Duff was Duff was really cool about it, and, and, and helpful. Um, really cool guy, you know. Really supported West, which was you know. Just a little liner note. Uh, after West, you know, like a day after West died, I, I got a call from him, and and uh, I, I was just in pieces, you know, I was in shock, really. And because uh, that that thing, t- I tumbled for a while, and on, you know, what what could I have done? I was actually there, you know. And there's things that happened in the house that night. I still can't explain, but uh, Duff said, "Hey, man, it's you know, there's nothing you could have done." He said, "It's kind of like it wasn't your fault." Um, you know, he just kind of understood that, well, you know, I, I really appreciated him calling, you know, and he didn't, you know, I didn't really know Duff from Adam and uh, it was really cool of him to call and kind of console me like that because he knew Wes really well. And, mm. you know, I'd, I'd go out of town, I'd come home and you know, a couple of things would be out of place, you know, and, but I never noticed, I never, never really occurred to me, but late, I would later find out that it, every time I would go out of town for a week, weekend or, or a week, you know, something, the, the fire department, the paramedics would be at the house. I knew nothing about this stuff, man. Nothing. Because Wes was staying at your house, right? Was it... It was, well, it was our house. It was my our place. House. Yeah, I leased the place. Yeah, our house. It was our place. <laughs> yes. I leased it. I leased it. You know, it was a nice place, man. Was, we had a kind of a brat pack vibe to it, big wraparound fireplace, and it was expensive, man. And we utilities included, so we had the fireplace going twenty four seven, just like the AC on full blast. Oh, wow. All the fan. <laughs> that place was lit up, man. It was a lot of fun. So there just be craziness going on and with West, and you had no idea by the time you got home. Like he was like what the, uh, you know, the, yeah. the kid like when the parents are away throwing a party and they're trying to fix the house before you get home. To, that you notice nothing yeah, is wrong. Man, I just, yeah, West. You know, I mean, you know, it just. I guess they wanted to keep that stuff. It, you know, was keep it private. But uh, and I really didn't know. I really, I, I didn't know that all the stuff had happened until you know after he passed away. But. Mm. Um, they didn't even ask me any questions. They just, you know, like I, I was there, you know, they didn't even ask me, they didn't even question me. I mean, that's how much of a slam dunk it was for them. It's like, wow, that's really bizarre, you know. Wow. Because they, they, they knew what the deal was. And so, so many times I didn't know that it was like that. But, you know, we when, when we cut the record, uh, um, Izzy Stradlin came out. I guess he'd been in Indiana and just, he, he packed it in and moved to Indiana and became, started riding trials motorcycles and became state champion, I guess. <laughs> Pretty badass, man. So he came, he came in and we cut some live songs with him and uh, cut some live songs, some songs live for the outpatients record that he played on also wound up in Vegas, one of them. 
Yeah. So then what was it like uh, recording with, with Izzy? Was that your first time meeting him? Uh, no, we'd met before. We, he came to see a, a group that I was involved in uh, called Dear Mr. President in uh, it played the rock scene. And, you know, a lot of groups would come to see that band. It was kind of a popular local band. But the last time I saw Izzy, we were up, it's upstairs in the bathroom and kind of, kind of hanging out a little bit. And uh, then the next time I saw him was uh, backstage at the Stones in 89. And uh, when he played with Axel um, at, at uh, the Atlantic City. And uh, then the next time I'd see him would be at the studio. He came with West and, you know, he cut his hair short. And, and we, we, you know, we played some of his songs, too. We recorded more songs than just the outpatient songs. We recorded some songs for him. And I don't know what he did with them. One was a really cool Elvis Presley song. I don't remember which one it was. But oh, okay. It was, it was all done live, too. All that stuff was done live, and it sounded great. So there could be uh, Izzy stuff featuring James Hunting out there, but we just haven't heard it yet? I don't know about featuring me, but I played bass on it. Well, yeah. Well, you don't want to. Sure. Junior on drums. And no, Izzy, Izzy was just on on that? Uh, he's saying, yeah, he's saying on some of the stuff. Uh, yeah, I believe so. If I remember correctly, yeah, I believe so. Yes, we I we cut we DNR did. Oh, go ahead. We we cut more songs, and you know, he played in some outpatient songs, but we recorded some songs for him too. That were, you know, we're just jamming and having fun. And I never heard anything about him since. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because I know a lot of uh, uh, listeners love that. You know those songs that may be in existence, things that might may be out there. So that's that's cool to know, especially since they are. It, started it, there, they are out there. One of them, this song, I remember it well. I don't remember the song, but I remember you know there's a couple songs that we did that went Izzy's way. You know, and I think it was kind of stuff he wanted to do, and the band could play. You know, we had Abel Boreal Jr. on drums. He's been with McCartney for years. We had West and guitar, me and bass, Buck Walter on keys. I mean, we just we laid it down quickly and, and had a good time doing it that's cool as he doesn't talk a lot he just does you know really cool guy well the fact that you if he doesn't talk a lot did you guys really bonded like yeah he could have just came in and did that track for west but that he right. bonded with you and the band to record songs for him i guess i think yep. that's a really cool moment yeah he's, moments. He's, he's you know i can see why he and west you know west would play bass on the juju stuff the juju hounds um i can see where those got those guys got along they didn't really um, they weren't really talkers, but they and they got a lot done. Man, West and Izzy wrote a lot of stuff. Hmm. So, um, what can you? Guns and Roses sound, I think. Yeah, no, it's you're hard pressed to you know to for anyone really to argue that that Izzy. I guess uh, our last episode was with, was with uh, Alan Niven, and he always likes to call Izzy the heart of the soul of Guns and Roses, and he mm-hmm. he knows as much as uh, as well as anybody else. But what can you mm-hmm. t- tell us about? I mean, this is kind of like the big song on on the record, and that's "Anxious Disease" with Axel uh-huh. and Slash. So G and R, they were broken up at the time when this happened. Hating each other, yeah. So did Axel and were they were, they, were, were the parts separate? Were in the, in the same room? What was the process in making that song? Well, um, it have been kind of fun to have them in the same room, give them some gloves, and film it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But <laughs> put that in the background of the song. But no, they came in separately. They, they came in separately, and uh, that that was definitely a separate. They they all came in separately to uh, do their thing, and you know that's just the way. That's the way that you know Wes could get it to work. You know they 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 weren't they weren't 
they were they wanted to help, but they just didn't want to help as a as a unit. They they wanted to help West out individually, so they came in and did their parts and. You know, were they? I mean, obviously, they were okay with being on the same song, though. There was nothing like, I don't want to be in a song with him, you know, never mind just being in the same room, but I don't even want to be in the same song with him. Nothing like that happened. Maybe, maybe they didn't know it at the time, you Uh know, and we all kept their mouth shut about it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Very, very (laughs) slick of West. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of stuff to go around. He did he did plenty for those guys, man. You know, that's the least they could have done for him. The very least is to show up and honor him by playing on his record, man. West finally got his deal to where he could do some of his songs, and not, yeah, it's damn right those guys should show up and support him uh, as you know they should. That's my belief, right and, and they did, and they did, and you know, Duff, you know, opened his house up. We, you know. We we recorded there. I, I basically played on Duff's rig, you know, and and probably, I don't even know if I played his bass or not. But he's telling me that his, his bass that had a kind of a deformed neck is like a factory second, and he got used to it that way. And you know this and that and the other, and we couldn't really play any other basses. But it, you know he he was just very gracious, and um, I'm glad he played on the record because I I wouldn't have had it any other way. I mean. Yeah, some people go, no, I want to, you know, this. Well, I want to play bass. No, man, he should have been on the. He should have been. He should have been on one more than one track. And I actually jam West up about that. You know, how come he's only playing one song? Hmm. You know, it was cool to have him on there. Those guys, you know. Um. Anyway, so that's how it went down. And 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 the song he played was kind of a really punky song. And there's really not a. The bass was kind of mixed down, and it is. Uh, but it's cool, you know. He still appeared, and uh, you know, um, the recordings went uh, it went smoothly. And "Anxious Disease" is a cool song. Uh, the band sounded good live playing it. Um, it's just incredible, you know, just incredible. How many gigs did you guys play together, like live gigs? We didn't. We 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 never played one gig together. Did Not you? Have, um, I thought you guys played together, man. We rehearsed for 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 a while. We rehearsed. We were supposed to be doing the ZZ Top World Tour uh-huh. as an opening opening band. And um, you know, um, first of all, there's a guy named George Beige who, who was good friends with West, and those guys were partners in crime and partners in writing. And West loved George's voice, and um, he was to be the lead singer of the Outpatients, uh, as he'd sung with a lot of West's projects in the past. But George, uh, when the band Got cut loose some money. We all received a little kind of an advance on the record. Um, the night before we were supposed to go in and start carving that turkey, uh, George was found dead in West's apartment, uh, and, 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 uh, right near the Capitol Records building in the little hills of in the hills of Hollywood behind that. And uh, it was tragic because it threw us it threw the whole project off. I mean, how is he ever going to replace George? George was the heart and soul of. of what Wes was doing and with, about the music and those guys developed developed a lot of these songs mm. before I even was even in the picture and and they had such a really cool groove and I you know so it was it was terrible you know um, uh, you know to have that loss of the singer of the band you know day the first day of recording man we find out that one of the members of the band is dead it's just a tragic tragic. Um, Thing to know is we were all in shock anyway it took us months and months and months from looking all over the hell's off acre for a singer that 
that Wes would be happy with. And, you know, um, we finally found a guy, and this guy who appears on the record, Mike Schotten, um, from he's Canadian and uh, could sing his entire ass off. Mike did a wonderful job. Came in and laid it down. But <clears throat> he didn't have as much of a connection with West as George did. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike was more of into, he was very much business and, you know, um, went back up to Canada, you know, call me when you're ready and this and that. But the band, you know, the band unfortunately wasn't able to do one show live. Uh-huh. It would have been good, too. Did you record, yeah. like, because I know obviously technology was different, but were any of the re- rehearsals recorded? Or did you record, whether it, whether it, video or audio, is there any sort of demo, anything there, else out there that we could possibly hear other than the record itself? It's it's funny, you know, um, Brandon, I, you mentioned that because, um, I, I, I you know, I had a house fire about three, four years ago, and I, it, it, I mean, it burned everything up but me and my life. Because I wasn't there, but I, I lost pretty much everything. But I, I believe that the, um, I, I believe that some of those uh, um, rehearsals at a place called Mates were recorded. Um, I don't personally have those recordings, but uh, and one of the drummers we are we're auditioning at, uh, at the time also uh, is dead. That I might have the recordings. He passed away about ten years ago. Um, but I, what I do have, I'm pretty sure. Is I got I got everybody dictaphones for Christmas one year, those Sony little voice activated things, and everybody loved them, man. And we used to sit around when we were jamming, and I'd have that thing on. And I, there's a couple songs I wrote with Wes that are on those, and I, I haven't even gone through those tapes. They're in a box somewhere, but there's some there's some stuff of Wes and and, and you know, Jimbo, Estrella, and me, uh, a few other guys playing. I mean, there's lots of tape. Uh, of, of things and on, on those dictaphone tapes i have a box of them and i just i haven't gone through those but there's stuff there if you're interested in hearing it yeah um i do it'd be i haven't heard them i haven't listened to that stuff since since then since before west passed away but sure those cause... little mini cassettes like the ones that are like a fifth of the size of a regular size cassette the little, the little micro cassettes like you know, a dat those, tape yeah. like a dat tape or something like the one that goes into a little tape, like a little old, those old-fashioned uh, dictaphone for, for okay. those old-fashioned phone, those phone answering machines, the little tapes. Oh, okay. All right. You know those I, ones? I do, those ones. I do remember that vaguely. I know I'm young, but I still remember dinosaurs in the Civil War and some things before yeah, my yeah. time. So. <laughs> uh, Damn, no. James, you you have to you have to transfer all that stuff to digital, man. You know, it's it's. Man, I, I can't even explain. I haven't gone yeah. back to that stuff. It was, just, it was so it, it took it took me a long time to get over that. I was mm. in really bad shape after after that, and I, I just left a lot of stuff alone. Uh, I, but I don't think it burned up with the house. I don't think it burned up. It was in a safe somewhere, and I, I hope it still is. Um, all of that stuff. Um, it'd be it'll it'll be chilling to listen to it though, because there's just us hanging out and talking and playing music well whenever you feel like i get that there are certain like recordings i i was told a a long time ago that i should record like conversations with my grandparents i know it's a little bit of a right turn here but i'm glad that i i have those now that they're gone and it, it it takes a lot you know just for that when someone's gone and i can't imagine you know, it's yeah. It's, there are these recordings that other people want to hear. Nobody cares about the recordings of my, me and my grandparents, but for you to get past the 
that's what our first few conversations were, how emotional you still are about the loss of your friends. And it's palpable. I, I can feel it. You know, you're not even saying it matter of factly. Like, you know, you could still care and maybe not show the emotion. But I was able to tell the emotion through the phone, through our first conversation. So all these years yeah. later. So, you know, whenever, if ever, you feel it's appropriate to go back and listen to it, not just, you know, for my selfish needs or my listeners' selfish needs of wanting to hear this stuff. But for, well, for you and have these reason. conversations after, you know, of course, because I would want to have you on again because you had plenty more uh, stories to tell in addition to, you know, West. We all want to get more into David Lee Roth and Roger uh, right. Daltrey. But I want to um, yeah. with this, this like what can, talk about for, for hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to keep you here forever. And certainly Raz, uh, I know, is a very busy, busy life. He has a million different projects going on. So I'm not going to keep you guys here too much longer. But I want to know, um, like, what can you share about what happened with, with West? West was bummed. He was, he was starting to get distraught because uh, we were trying to get the, the all the business stuff taken care of to get the band out on the road, and he's getting impatient. You know, and, and you know he's he started to use, you know, he's starting to use again, and and, and hide it. He's, he's hiding it, and. Um, you know, he just kept slipping, man, and he just, he kept slipping, and um, uh, you know, he was he, he was slipping, and and I just I you know I I never lived with somebody that had a problem like that before, and uh, I I just didn't see the I didn't see the signs, and I kicked myself in the ass for not knowing better, but I you know there were there were signs there that I I, I missed, you know, and. Um, you know, though, don't, it's weird. Like, Wes was in a really good space, like, for six, nine months, a year before he passed away. So I mm-hmm. could see, I, I had no idea that he was using it again, too. And I actually, like, when he was, like, at the the worst part, like, a couple years before that or the year before or whatever, like, I didn't see uh-huh. him. Much, but he was, he was coming around my studio quite a lot, at least, like, a couple times a month, like, all the way up until, like, I saw him, like, two weeks before he passed so and he was good man so you know like we all kind of miss it either he was good at hiding it you know or i, I mean i just heard he got in a fire and then he you know and then he got out of the hospital and next thing i heard he was dead you know so you, was, you know what happened with this brick we had a big brick oven in, in the kitchen and and it did the auto light was screwed up on it so we just, we just have to light it with a you know like a, you know one of those little lighters with the extension on it mm-hmm. or a match or whatever um, I know. I, I know when, when we first moved in there, um, I was showing somebody that brick oven, and it turned on, and, and I, it, I tell you, it, it singed my eyebrows, my eyelashes, and everything. And that's what I thought had happened with him. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I, apparently he was um, he would he'd been basing, and it blew up in his face because it looked like somebody had taken a blowtorch to him. I wasn't there at the time, but something near the brick oven in the kitchen had burned through the linoleum floor of our place there. And, uh, and it, you know, whatever it was, it was hot. And, uh, yeah, he was, a, I mean, he was, a, he was burned pretty badly. And I, I, you know, I was like, what the, what the hell, you know, I mean, he's hanging his, he was literally hanging his face out the window of, of the car because it was burning so badly. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was doing free base. I had no idea, man. None. And uh, so, you know, he rec- he recovered from that. And then, uh, but that was, that was from the brick oven. He got burned. Okay. 
we recovered from that. And then, uh, you know, every week, you know, for five, six weeks before this, before the, he finally, you know, his final night, uh, he, he had a steady group of old girlfriends coming by to visit one each weekend. And he spent the weekend with them. And it's kind of strange, but almost as if he was saying goodbye. And, um, you know, some someone would have their little boys or little girls there along with them. And, I, you know, I'd watch, look after the little girl, go take her to McDonald's, get us, you know, a little happy meal, you know, whatever, while Wes was hanging out with his friend, you know. And, uh, yeah, they were one by one, you know, they came in to visit. And Wes had, you know, a lot of people that li- liked him, a lot of girls that liked him. And they come and hang for the weekend. And then... Uh, you know, once that was over, you know, it's when, when, you know, uh, you know what happened happened. But I, I was home that night. I came home. I pulled in. It's a little, probably a little bit before, before midnight. West Bronco was there. I mean, if his Bronco was there, ninety-nine out of a hundred times he was there. So he was there, as far as I'm concerned. I go inside. Don't hear any sign of life. I just say, hey, you know, nobody's here. And I'm like, that's strange. So, so I was vacuuming downstairs, and uh, I, you know, when you blow dry in your hair, you think you hear a telephone ringing or something. Well, it was like that, but I thought I heard Wes call my name. So I shut the vacuum off, and you know, ran upstairs. Hello, Wes. Hello, Did you call me. Hello. No, no reply. None at all. And so I go back downstairs, fire up the vacuum, continue cleaning up the house a little bit. Nothing, man. And then I heard him call me again. Went upstairs again. This time a little closer, kind of looking in his room, you know. I, I never went into his room when he wasn't home. It's just, you know, that's not a cool thing to do. It's not a cool feeling either. Um, we just weren't like that. He, he you know, had these two executive suites upstairs, um, and uh, we're next to each other. But, I mean, I never, you know, I always respected his privacy, you know. And, and it probably would have been cool to go into his room when he wasn't there, but just didn't feel right for me. Um, but... It, it happened like three times. I thought I heard him calling me, and this is what screwed my really messed me up because, you know, I, I, I next the following morning is when he found him in his bath bathroom, and I'd never walked far enough into his bedroom wow. to see into, into the bathroom, which is ten ten feet further, and you know, oh wow, as if, he may have been calling me for help or something, and it's just that that alone really. Um, it, it really was upset me so much as like, you know, maybe I could have done something, but I just, I never walked. I never, I never, you know, I had no business in there West room, you know, when he wasn't home. So, you know, it, but that night, so I, I finished doing all the things I would do and then they're going, you know, where the, where the fuck is he, man? He, why is it? He should be here. Why, what, where would he be at this hour? He's always home. You know, we'd, his car's out front, and I, you know where the you know I where could he be? What's going? This is really it's kind of strange because he was always, you know, if he if his car was there, he was there. He never took off with anybody, or you know, he drive himself. And um, but uh, so I went to bed, and uh, next morning I woke up, and um, I had this this kind of the wall mount bed setups, you know, with the mirrors and all that stuff, and mounts up against the wall. Well, I had this little vase, and it had a bunch of dried flowers and roses, and uh, they were, I was covered in them from head to toe on my bed. So we sprinkled, like they sprinkled them on top of me when I was sleeping. And I usually notice when somebody's been in my room, 
or been close to me, somebody close to me when I'm sleeping, I'll wake up. You know, it's just a natural instinct, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know who, who was in my room that night or what, what happened, um, why I didn't wake up. I should have, I mean, I would have known. But the vase wasn't knocked over. And I had knocked it over, and and I, I didn't. I had no idea how those those rose petals covered the bed, covered covered covering me, my body. And I, I'll never know who was in the house that night or what happened. If it was West, I, I'll never know. You know, and it bothers me because I thought maybe somebody broke in and hot shot at him or something. I, you know, I don't know. Wow. I, I just I don't know. And uh, so those are those are unknowns, but. Um. Uh, it was it was it was it was it was, it was a really hard day. You know, it's not 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 a, not an easy thing to live through, and because I, I just I just didn't know, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, and uh-huh. I wish I'd have walked through in his room. Maybe I could have saved him. I don't know, but he, you know, I found Wes in his bathroom, and you know, he was cold. It was too late. Well, first, I, I mean, I have to say, I'm I'm so sorry, James, that you had to. To go through that, I know it was obviously a loss for you, uh, Raz, as well, being a friend. But uh, to terrible. be a lot of a lot of friends, man. That, sure, you know. But that's that's awful. And I mean, I'm sure many people have said this to you, and it makes me. And I, I like that story about Duff reaching out to you, and you didn't know him that well, mm-hmm. but he still reached out to you. But man, I, I, was, I needed to hear that. I needed sure. to hear that from anybody, man, because I, I was just I, I, blaming I, yourself. I, I mean, you, you can't. I mean, yeah. it's not like you saw him and you're like oh he's okay he'll be fine but it's like i get it you're just you know you're not going to go into his room it's just one of those really i can't mm-hmm. think of uh you know i want to think of a more uh yeah. you know appropriate word but just misfortune that you you yeah. didn't and who knows maybe he he already was gone i mean you don't know but just again just i'm, I'm just really, really sorry that you have that memory i really don't know but i heard him calling me over the vacuum and man i i, I shut that fucker off and i ran up there you know, wonder where he was, you know, because we, we, you know, we, 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 we worked together. We, you know, we cook. He liked to cook. I liked to cook. You know, he cooked me dinner. I cook him dinner. We were a team, you know. Yeah. At that time. And, uh, I just, you know, I don't, it's just, you know, what if, you know, I mean, um, what if you know, we, we, we recorded a song. The last song we recorded was called the common shadow and with Patrick stone, uh, Wester Kane and myself, and with a Taylor guitar with Wes playing it, a tambourine with, um, and an and and upright bass. Mm-hmm. An upright bass I played in. It, it sounded huge, just the three of us. We went over to Cherokee and we're recording over there, and uh, it sounded really big. It was exciting, and this is, that's when he's trying to phase Patrick and, you know, kind of grooming him. Been rehearsing, working with him, Patrick, on the song. For, you know, at least a month, kind of trying to get him to get the kind of the vibe of how it's supposed to be sung. Mm-hmm. But that song was played at West's funeral, mm. and um, there's a uh, there's a um, a waltz in in the middle of it where West sings "I'm I'm not alive" and um, over and over and over. It's just kind of chilling. Um, uh, almost uh, it was meant to. You know, he was, he wrote that song for that purpose. Mm. You know, and maybe he did. You know, perhaps it's a neat song. Maybe it's a neat song. If I could, if I could dig up some of this stuff, I'll share it with you guys. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his stuff, but 
No, please. I mean, I, I want the, and I'm sure you guys feel the same. I want West's memory to be out there. I mean, I don't know, obviously, as much as you guys do. And the more I learn about him, I'm like, I I want to learn more. It makes me more, you know, have more of an appetite for lack of, you know, not to be punny, but uh, for for his material and what he contributed to Guns N' Roses, you know, and, and as a person. He had a, very unique, he had a very unique style that West did, very, very, very unique. I mean, yeah, and he was very good. There is artistry there. Sure. So artistry, what... yeah, it's, artistry is not common. Artistry is rare. But with Wes, there is artistry there. Mm. It really was. Well, he certainly knew how to pick his friends and his uh, his bandmates. You know, um, yeah. he he certainly had a knack for that. So, what would you want people to take away from that record? You know, if anything lyrically, you know, musically that happened in the studio, like what would you want the uh, the outpatients to be remembered for? Oh God! I know um, it's kind of a difficult question. That was a little bit of a radio e question, but it's okay. Just you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, you get a chance to hear it and hear how good the music was. That was Wes. That was a chance for Wes to do his music, and you can hear a, a lot of um, Alice and Chains type of stuff in there. Sure. And West West style woven through with the Guns and Roses stuff. You know, you can you can hear West and Guns and Roses all the time, except. You know, he'd, he'd started pl- playing with the guys. He was going over to, and working with when Teddy Zigzag and those guys joined. And Wes wasn't into that at all. He didn't really like those guys. Mm. He he the whole thing had changed. It was he he wanted the old, like things to be like the old the way they were. The old Guns and Roses. Well, they were starting to get popular. I mean, Guns and Roses got really popular, but they started to change, adding personnel and all this stuff. Wes did not. I remember him coming back from the studio saying, "Man." I don't dig these guys, man. So and so and so and so. He says, "Uh, uh-uh. and Wes, he called it straight out. He knew it was up. He knew that you know who was Guns N' Roses material and who wasn't. Hmm. And he just, he was, I remember he he wasn't very happy with some of the guys they'd brought in. But uh, hey, that wasn't his. I mean, it was his band, but it wasn't. You know, sure. Interesting. And uh, yeah, he, he's Wes was real simple." They're very deep and um, not combative at all, but at least not that I know of. What do you think, Raz? Yeah, I think, you know, non-combative, uh, mellow. He was a mellow dude, man. But, uh, yeah, he got his weight with, with his talent, not by, like, yelling and screaming, you know. It's just like he hung out with mm-hmm. people that knew, you know, how good he was, and he knew how good the people he was. And when he said something, people, like, at least gave him the benefit of the doubt long enough to do it his way mm-hmm. and give it a try, you know? Yeah. Do you remember Did you remember that thing? Of, it was on our, it was on our, on our refrigerator. It was an English rag where he was at a, I think it was a virgin songwriter's party, something like this. And, and <laughs> Wes was there. And but uh, in bunch of there's a bunch of people there, uh, artists, writers, whatever. Anyway, Boy George was there, and Boy George started bagging on 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 Axl Rose, and Wes jumped in and and just you know just laid into him, calling him every word in the book, and told me you know Axl could sing better than him, and blah blah blah, and and. It, Boy George comes out from nowhere with the windmill, you know, to beat up at West. You know, he's come swinging, uh-huh. swinging with the windmill. What? And it made the cover of an English rag, but that was on a refrigerator, man. I used to laugh about that. Uh-huh. West, West was 5'4", 
and he just he'd stand up. He was standing up for his buddies. Like man, he just he just right in front of everybody. Just 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 dress the guy down. And so much that he, you know, he came out of nowhere to, to be, you know, swinging. <laughs> See, I appreciate that. I'm five six, and I've definitely jumped into fight, like you know, with like a friend of mine getting shit, and I'll I'll throw a punch. I don't care if I'm five six. I don't mess with my friends. Don't mess with my friends or family. That's exactly what he. That's exactly what he's what he was like. He he was defending his friends, and and uh, if, as far as in, you know, Axel Rose being insulted by Boy George, West took it personally, like he was insulted himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's how he handled it. You know, and he said, Wes is a, you know, pretty loyal guy. He, he, was, a, he was a loyal guy, man, very much so. Uh, I got to find that picture, man. So do I. So it's, it's Boy George flailing away. Is Wes in the shot, or is it just Boy George flailing at him? And you know, I don't remember the picture, but I wish I did. Look, you know what? Look for it, man. It's got to be somewhere. Oh, it's an name. English. It's one of it's a popular like English. Eighty-eight or eighty-nine or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere, maybe somewhere around there. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll find that. And, um, I'll it was a virgin. It was a virgin. Uh, I think it was a virgin. Was West was contracted with a virgin um, writers party or something like that. And yeah, boy, George, man, they got in a fight. All right. They got a West was um, West was pissed, man. Because you know, I mean, he just dressed him. I mean, just just ripped him apart in front of everybody. So wait, I guess he really did want to hurt Wes, right? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Well, do you really want to hurt me? I got it. I got it, Rat. <laughs> he came in with the with the with the windmill treatment, you know, with both hands swinging, you know, forward. <laughs> there, Back then, we might describe it as like a girl, but we couldn't call it like a girl anymore because it's girls. Our boxers now. Sure. No, now I'm just thinking of there's a clip from The Simpsons when Bart and Lisa were both playing hockey and they were trying to fight each other and whatever. They're going at each other with the windmill. If you get hit, it's your own fault. Yeah, no, uh-huh. I, I got you. Not exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I got you. See, yeah. I mean, uh, it's so cool. I mean, uh, this is why, you know, Raz, this is your third time on. You have so many great stories. We find out new ones each time. And it right. seems going to be the, for, for you, James. I, I really appreciate you talking about, you know, of course, yourself, your family, you know, growing up and uh, just opening up about uh, West because I know, you know, we can hear it in your voice now that it, it's still it's so hard so i really appreciate you not just taking the time but just the uh the content that you've you've shared with us so just uh thank you i i I appreciate it and you know i do hope you uh you come on again whether it's talking more outpatients but i know you have a lot more stories uh more stories to tell and you know i'm eager to hear uh, them we just scratched the surface i you know i'm sorry i try and elaborate so much on on each story i try and tell them as descriptively as I can, but no, you were great. Wes, Wes was Wes was. Um, he would defend his, you know. He he would defend and be loyal to his people. You know, absolutely. He, but you know, Wes was this very sweet and and and, and uh, you know, kind of a tranquil guy. But I mean, he 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 was capable. I mean, he could he could stir it up too. I mean, seriously. Um, but yeah, he, he you know he could get mad. Absolutely, he could get mad. But uh, he is a loyal guy, you know. Well, I get that sense from you, being loyal, sweet, and tranquil. So I can, I can. West, West, he and I were, we had an agreement that was almost, you know, just, it was understood. You know, we looked after each other, and uh, I I didn't go through all that. I didn't go through all that, you know, the the crazy drug phase that he went through, and which was really where a lot of stuff happened, man. I came in at the end and was trying to be, 
you know, a, um, a kind of a new start for him. You know, the, you know, a clean and sober band, and to launch his record and his career, and, and get out there and, you know, uh, stay busy. You know, it's just. I mean, those guys. He and George have been through so many development deals that they just smoked up all the profits and everything. You know, they're partners in crime and partners in writing, you know, but uh, this is this is one where, you know, he could make it stick. We actually produced, got something produced and uh, an actual product that it was marketed and sold and it's out there. And uh, well, I'm glad that, that it's out there. I mean, it sucks yeah. that no live shows happen, but who knows what you may be able to find in your in your vault. I know you told me off the air. I was like, do you have any pictures? And you're like, no, that went up in the uh, the house fire. I'm like, oh, God. Well, I'm glad yeah. you weren't in the house fire because it sounds like there's enough tragedy. You had enough tragedy in your life, you know? Oh, man. And, and, and the Ventura fire just got the rest of my stuff. Okay. I swear to God. Um, that's about four or five months ago, there was a firestorm up there, and I, I had a bunch of stuff that I collected since the, since my fire. And 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 salvaged, you know, um, my entire. This time, this time it, it got everything. Fortunately, nobody died um, in that Ventura fire. Sure. But, well, you know, maybe- the one fifty when when my house got on fire in Pasadena, the one in fifty I wasn't home. I was lucky because I would have made it out. So I had to take that deal, you know, my life or my things. And that that house is, is a museum of my. is a museum of my life. You know, I had all all my instruments all. You know, oh, I can't even imagine. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's tragic. It's 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 it was just devastating. So maybe to I'm, properly bookend the conversation, because you started out by saying that you grew up in Pasadena. You know, you don't wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Maybe you want to live somewhere where there aren't as many fires. Yeah, yeah, really, <laughs> like, really, like the Big Island or something. Yeah, right, right there, the- right there. <laughs> Live on the water or something. Jeez. Well, I'm glad that you know you are okay. Thank you. Smoke on the water though. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been lucky. I've almost had my I've almost had my head blown off. I mean, one car distance away, then the dude pulled the trigger. Man, he was aiming right at my head. I had to jump on him though. But anyway, that's, I've been I've been lucky. I've been hit by cars. Um, you know, I jumped up, bounced off the, the windshield, did a somersault, and landed on my feet as it went through me. You know. I've been I've been fortunate, very very fortunate, to escape being really seriously hurt and, and you know shot to death and all this thing. Uh, I've been very fortunate, very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Thank God. I mean, well, at the very least, I'm glad you're here to tell us these stories. You know, that's very minuscule. You know, and you survivor man. Remember, you know, it could happen. What happened to me? At my place could happen to anybody. It's faulty, sure. faulty line. If you know, keep things unplugged that you're not using, man. Because if you have old wiring, this place, this place I was in had really old wiring. It could happen to anybody. You know, it really could. So I mean, it happened to me. I was just thank God I wasn't there. But I caught, you know, I had to take the deal, man. All, all, all the things in my life, my instruments, everything, all, all up in smoke disintegrated uh, or my life and I have to take my life you know oh absolutely of course the only good thing about it was I wasn't there yeah. hey Raz I just want to say man I'm sorry I talked I talked so much I did, you know um, I I didn't mean to bogart all the, the time talking man you know oh no <laughs> dude you, it's it's all about you man I was loving it dude I was like actually uh, I loved hearing what you had to say man so no not not a problem at all yeah, I was just going to say you know I mean this what we just did today we could we could do five more times and still you know have plenty to talk about Absolutely. you know it's just a really good time got, there's a lot oh, man, so many Roger Daltrey questions for you <laughs> really I'm a huge Who fan man I'm, I can't believe you guys played Naked Eye man I would have went 
I love that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not playing with Roger now, but I mean, you know, I did five years with him. And uh, wow, I mean, just like just like Mick Jagger, man, these guys are doing it, man. They are doing it still. You know, Rogers. You know, he has to go get an operation every couple of years on his throat. But right, um, really? yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. It was a few. I, I know it was every few years, but I know a few years ago that he had something major uh, happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know that it was consistent. That that sucks. Well, almost, a couple of years ago, he almost died. Um, yeah, viral meningitis. I think it was. He was. Last time I saw Roger, he's like, you know, you know, he's telling me about it. You know, he's just like, no, I had, then a, a piece fell over him. He, he felt peace and through through that whole process of almost dying. You know, he should have died actually at his age. Scary. But he, he, you know, he's, he found peace, and uh, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's very good. You know, it's. Uh, I hope um, I hope he has. You know, the guy's had a long long career, lot lots of tragedy. Um, he's you know. He's the real deal. Well, you're the real deal, James Hunting, Jamie Hunting, Mr. Hunting. Uh, then... When it comes time to, to play in the bass, and I'll, I'll, you know, <laughs> that's what I love to do, man. That's what I love to do. And that's what, that's what we're, why we're all talking, just because I love to play the bass, and I always, you know, keep an open mind about, who, you know, I don't uh, shoot people down that aren't as, you know, as experienced as I am. I welcome younger players. And, you know, we have to all work together. That's about musicianship. Right on. So, you know, we help each other out, you know, in other areas. And uh, I've always said yes to a point, you know, I'm willing to listen. And, then you know, but uh, that's the only reason I've, you know, worked with so many people. Because you look around you, everything you see is a result of somebody saying yes. Well, there it is. You have some uh, good advice out there. In addition to playing the bass, you have some great advice. So, yeah, no, absolutely. We'll do an entire sequence, just like the Police Academy movies. We'll do like something like that uh, with James right Hunting on. and Raz. Six degrees of Jamie Hunting. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, how can people stay in touch with you, or do you want them to stay in touch with you? Because if they have questions, or you know what you're doing now, you know what's what. I'm easily trackable. I live in Pasadena. I have I do have Facebook, but I don't use it as a professional thing. You know, I put all kinds of crap up there. You know, it's like a, it's trying to find a, a home for a pit bull the other day. You know, which I did. I did find a home for him. Oh, very nice. But I play, I play locally around Los Angeles. I record. Um, you know, I'm working with the blues artist. Um, I, I just I'm all too, I'm way too quiet about what I'm doing. I just I just go about and do it. You know, I don't really I don't really look at it as uh, um, I need somebody to do that for me because I just focus on just, you know, getting to work on time if I'm playing and, and, you know, you know, you guys know I'm having trouble with time. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Imagine that. I'm in, the time business. I'm in the time business and I'm always pushing time, but I mean, um, right you on. Know, it's, well, whenever it's you, you have something to yeah. share, I mean, in addition to like when we do talk again, if you ever want to talk about upcoming gigs or anything to promote, if you want to talk about a certain you know young player you're mentoring, you know, it, you can always reach out to me. And, uh, you know, this was just a, a, a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad that we finally got to do this, James. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I played with a lot of New Yorkers over the years and um, and people actually thought I was from New York. Or actually think I'm from New York. I don't You're know why. You're too nice to be but, from New York. Everyone here is a jerk. But <laughs> I don't. Not, I don't have to speak. They're just talking about the way I dress, and I go. I don't. I don't really get that. But I mean, I'm. I, to, to me, Earl, Earl Slick is New York. You know, we were in a band together once, and Joan Jett. That's New York. I mean, uh, that, yes, Joan Jett. Sure. You know I mean? uh, and uh, I always think of like Twisted Sister and the Ramones. 
them too. Yeah, of course. Dark music. And the, and the Ramones. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Joe, Joe Franco. I remember Joe Franco. I did a record with Joe Franco. He was pretty cool. The Twisted Sister. I think drummer. And uh, yeah, this is the John Wayne. I remember seeing John Wayne out in New York City a lot. Oh, great. Yeah, John Wayne. Oh, that's so cool. So, like, this is, see, now we're just getting all these, like, bullet points of just a million different <laughs> stories that Jamie has. It's good. We're going to be here for a day if we, if we continue. So, uh, Jamie's going to cut out, too. Yeah, this was. Hey, you guys, it, was a good, it was good rapping with you, man. And, and you know, we, any, we can do it again at any time. We will. So keep hundred percent. Okay. Hey, nice talking to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, later, man. Look me up on Facebook if anybody wants to. You know, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm, I'll even leave my phone number. You know, I'm trackable. Wow, very trackable. All right. Well. Yeah. Thanks, absolutely. James. We will absolutely talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you, guys. Okay, man. You Thanks. take care. Okay. Goodbye, man. Later. Bye-bye, man. Bye. Take care, Raz. Bye, bye. And Mr. Raz, you want more uh, one more plug before we get out of here for your website? I know it's a very hard website to uh, to remember. You know, it is hard because I have a Q in there, but it's not the letter Q. So yeah, it's <laughs> Raz Q R A Z C U E dot com and. Uh, Buy some autographed books off of there, man. That'd be awesome. No, it's it's great. You know, at, even as we were promoting this episode with you as co-host, we were getting some comments like, oh, I just bought Raz's book. So that's great. You're working on two more. You're working on the audio book, as we talked about in the intro. So uh, it's awesome. And I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to uh, to co-host this episode. And I'm sure this won't be the last time uh, that we hear you on the uh, the AFD show. So thank you again, Jamie, Raz. Jamie was great. And, Wasn't and he? Thanks for- Thanks for, for uh, oh, yeah, awesome, man. I loved it, man. He opened up. He's a, he's a real accessible guy. I love that. He did, and I love that you guys were going back and forth with some West stories. That was some uh, some cool, uh, that was a cool yeah, moment. Yeah, I was feeling sad all over again. Yeah. Man. Like, like 1997 all over again. But, yeah, it's good, yeah. Rest well, East West. Everybody loved him, man. Everybody loved that dude. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys painting uh, some, some good pictures of him, so. Uh, until next time, Raz, so unless you have anything else to share, uh, this concludes the uh, episode, what was it, episode 66, yeah, of the AFD show? My goodness. So as far as the, the next episode, you will see, well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning a Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No! security, I'm going home.